Now, Tina Marie. When I first listened to Tina Marie, first of all, I, I went to an interracial high school in the Chicagoland area in the suburbs. How I got in that high school, that's another day for another show. Because I'm already going into overtime. I went to interracial high school in the suburbs in the Chicagoland area. And there was a lot of white girls there. And when I first heard Tina Marie, she made me start looking at white girls. She made me want a white girl. She made me want to date a white girl. I thought Tina Marie was one of the most beautiful white women I've ever seen in my life. And then I seen so many Tina Marie's at high school. And I just wanted to be with a white girl. She made me start liking white girls. Outside of Angelina Jolie, because I thought Angelina Jolie was one of the most beautiful white women I've ever seen. There is one woman that plays on, Ted, on, on Cedric's, Cedric the Entertainer, the comedian, that play on Cedric the Entertainer's show called The Neighborhood that was on CBS. I don't know if it's still airing. And um, her, her character is Gemma Johnson. What a beautiful woman. Beautiful white woman. Tina Marie is the reason why I even would even blink an eye. And I know we talk about black love on here. Well, Tina Marie is the reason why I would even bat an eye at a white woman. And Tina Marie is the only white woman that the black community loves collectively that we don't have a disagreement on. Now, we have a packed show for you today. Hope you all love it. And I know I will. Let's keep the music rolling. You know, I'm glad you could find time to see me today. Because I think it's time you and I had a serious talk. For days now, I've been trying to call you, trying to see you. Don't you know how I feel? Don't you know that you can't measure the pleasure by the hurt I'm feeling right now? Can't you see it in my eyes? Can't you feel it in my voice? I have a need for you. Every little bit hurts. Every little bit hurts. Every night I cry, every night I sigh, every night I wonder why. You treat me cold, yet you Come back to me, darling. You'll 
I love you. 
Let's listen to that. I think that sounded pretty good. Wow. What, what can I say about the queen, the ivory queen of soul, Miss <laughs> Tina Marie? Oh, man. Um, I can go back as far as not long before she passed is when I first heard her voice. Um, I think they had her unsung. First time I saw her was um, it was an unsung special episode of different performances of the artists that they featured uh, that particular season, and Tina Marie was one of them, and they did a, they showed the video of Rick James and Tina doing a, I'm a Sucker for Your Love, and then that's why I first heard her voice, and not long after that, first hearing Square Biz and Fire and Desire, I'm like, wow, this girl is insane, like, ain't no way that that soulful voice is coming out of that little white body, but, eh, just knowing her, just learning her story, it's just like, She's just amazing. And um, I just recently got into a discography uh, back in April of last year. And I heard Irons in the Fire in its entirety for the first time. And it must be magic and robbery. And I'm like, this girl was writing, arranging, singing, playing, everything. Like, her sense of soul and funk and her sense of groove is just astonishing and just um, an amazing songwriter. And definitely one of the best of our time. And we lost her way too soon, way too soon. Um, it's, uh, it's a tough loss, but I know where she is because she was very spiritually inclined. I could tell by some of the things she wrote, like, you know, I'm just a fragment of my God, you know, things like that. It's like, you know, her place in music history is forever cemented by her artistry. And, you know, yeah, she's just amazing. Love her so much. Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Legends of Sports and Music. This is your host, the OG Rob Silver, and today we are talking about the iconic, the late great Miss Lady T, Tina Marie. Um, so much to say about this woman who died way too young at the age of 54 back in 2010. She transcended her race. She transcended soul music. She is one of them. She is one of them women. She is the epitome of white excellence. There aren't too many white acts, singing acts, uh, athletes, celebrities that I respect because I see a lot of them with hidden, with hidden racism, whether it's Mark Wahlberg, a.k.a. Marky Mark, that piece of shit, whether it's Eminem, whether it's the fucking fake King Elvis Presley, they all, deep inside, in my opinion, were embedded or, or are embedded with racist viewpoints. Fuck them. Tina Marie was and is a different story. You look at her entire life and you see a woman that, in my opinion, was accidentally born black. She was put on this earth to give us great music. She was put on this earth to celebrate black music, period. She is the only white artist I have seen in my entire lifetime. 
I am the same age as she was when she died. That's another reason why it's sad to think that she was only 54 when she passed. I'm 54. But she is the only white artist in my entire lifetime that I saw, that I have seen, be embraced 100% by black community, by the black community, by black music fans. Period. End of story. They looked at her like she was one of our own. Period. And the way she acted, the way she carried herself. She carried herself like a black woman. Now, I'm not going to say she was. Uh, and I'm going to go into funny stories about what she said later on. Uh, irony of some of the uh, ethnicities that she uncovered in her family her family tree, and what my father... Matter of fact, I'll talk about what my father thought when he first saw her. <laughs> but before I go into that, uh, kudos to LL School K. And he, he brought up the subject how, because of his love for Tina Marie, that that's why he started dating white girls at his high school. And shout out to our newest contributor to the podcast, Kamani, young brother with an old soul, Kamani, I believe you could correct me if I'm mistaken, that you're either 21 or 22 years old, but you have the knowledge of a 71-year-old. You act when it comes to your music taste as though you've been living since the 1950s, that you weren't born in 2000, 2001. Uh, check him out on Twitter, the young brother loves soul music and reminds me of myself when I was 21, when I was 15, when I was 10, when I was 7. Now, I didn't really start investigating singers until I was at junior high school, until I was 13, 14, 15 years old. I would go to the New York City public libraries and I would look up in old Jet Nebony magazines in the archives or through the microfish, microfilm, which was Google before Google. Those old enough to know, you know what, you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about doing research on microfilm or microfiche. And I would look in the articles about Atina Marie. Marie Christine was her real name. Marie Christine, not Mary Christine Brocker. So, sorry about mispronouncing her first name. It's Mary, not Marie. Duh. <laughs> Mary Christine Brocker was originally in a rock band when she was in high school. I found this out through the magic of microfilm, looking at old newspaper articles. See, microfilm has you go through a search of old newspaper articles on an individual, old magazine articles. And through, through that, I was able, when I was in junior high school, to find out exactly what Tina Marie was about. Found out back in 1981, 82, 83, when I'm looking this up between the ages of 13 and 15, that she allegedly had an affair with Rick James, which later on, in her life, both admitted to having an affair, but back then, neither had confirmed the rumor. Even though we now know, and back then it was plain as day, Rick James dated white women, 
and Tina Marie dated black men. The only child Tina ever had, uh, Elisa Rose, her father was a black mailman, Peter Butcher. The only man uh, Tina Marie conceived a child with was a black man. And similar to Sade, whose only child was conceived by a black Jamaican man. So, when we talk about Tina Marie's impact on black music as a white singer, it's amazing that she got the love that record executives tried to get for an Eminem or Elvis Presley. From where I grew up, from where I'm from, neither uh, com, Eminem and Elvis combined didn't get the love of black people that Tina Marie received before and after her death. She is celebrated to this day. Re, I'm celebrating her today on this podcast because she was authentic. She was real. She was as real as it got. The woman had a voice that could only be taught by a few. In the history of female singers, she's got a top 10 vocal. You could say top five. Um, off the top of my head, I would definitely say Patty, Whitney, Mariah had greater voices. After you put those three to the side, Tina's battling everybody else for that number four spot, in my opinion. You guys let me know what where you would rate Tina amongst the greatest female voices of all time. That voice was, from, in my opinion, it's a greater voice than Adele or Celine Dion. Now, if you want to disagree with me, I'll understand. But in my opinion, as soulful as Celine Dion and Adele try to be, they're, to me, they're trying to be soulful. Tina was naturally soulful. Just my five cents on it. And it's proven by the very first song I played, Every Little Bit Hurts, from a first album, which the majority of the album was written and produced by Rick James. This is the only song I believe on the album that wasn't written by Rick James, but Rick James produced the song, and he appeared at the end. And Every Little Bit Hurts could sum up exactly the relationship between Tina and Rick. Because in every little bit hurts, this woman is giving her all to this man. And he's treating her like an afterthought. Let me get the lyrics to this. This is a great fucking song, man. Hold on, let me get the lyrics to every little bit hurts. Every night I cry, every night I die, every night I wonder why you treat me cold, yet you won't let me go. Every little hurt does every little hurt does every little hurt hurts to you i'm a toy and you're the girl who has to say why i should play yet you hurt me desert me i just can't take the loneliness you give me ladies that are listening how many of you ladies have been involved in relationships with men that treat you as an afterthought that treat you Less than what you deserve to be treated. You deserve the best. And yet this man. Who you love unconditionally. Doesn't give you the same love back. He doesn't recipro reciprocate your love. Yet. And I've seen this time and time again. With beautiful women. 
throughout my lifetime. When a woman is treated like the queen like that she is, many a time she will pick the dude that doesn't treat her like a queen over the dude that treats her like a queen. I've been there. I've talked about it on this podcast. I've talked about how I've been in love with women and they chose the man that didn't give one-tenth what I gave them. And then I've been in situations, and I've talked about this several times, how for a five, six-year period, I was dating three, four different women at the same time, and I didn't love any of them, and yet they adored me more than I adored them. Now, to be to be fair, they all had boyfriends at the time, but I had the feeling that if I told them, hey, why don't you tell that motherfucker to go away? You my girl now. They would have done that, but I didn't have the time for that. All I had, the only time I had, because I was a single father, when I started doing this, I was a full-time single parent. I was a full-time grad school student, and I had a full-time job. So in order for me to have fun with women, I was dating three, four different women that had boyfriends and that we would get together on the weekend, um, I would get together with one of them on the weekend when one of them could get away from their men. And I would seek pleasure that way without having to get involved in a serious relationship. But every one of these women that I dealt with caught feelings for me, even though I wasn't courting them like I courted my ex, Tracy. Like I courted my first love, Michelle. Like I courted uh, my ex-love, Antoinette. Like years later when I courted Vonette and how I'm courting my girlfriend now, Mia. I didn't court any of these women during this time, 1998 to 2004. And yet all of them were willing to put up with my limited availability towards each and every one of them. Never understood that, and this song is the perfect example of a woman who will do anything for this man who is being nonchalant towards her. And then at the end of the song, Rick James comes in, and he's talking about, I I finally realized that I love you. Motherfucker, you don't love her. You just telling her what she wants to hear. Great song. And this was the first song I ever heard on the radio from Tina Tina Marie back in 1979, listening to WBLS. Later on, you'll hear a first-time contributor, Simone, talk about listening to uh, Tina Marie on WBLS. The first time I heard Tina Marie was on WBLS. In my entire lifetime, Tina Marie was only played on black radio stations. Pop stations did not play Tina Marie. Maybe in 1988, when Ooh La La became a huge hit, the pop stations in New York started playing Tina Marie. But as far as my uh, recollection goes, the uh, Z100s of the world, the WPLJs, the WNBC and WABC AM radio, when they were playing music on the AM side until the mid-80s, they never played Tina Marie. Tina Marie was a staple of black radio from when I was 11 
until I stopped listening to the radio almost 20 years ago because radio, right, black radio uh, nationally is trash. It's not owned by black media. It's owned by white corporate devils. And I'll leave it at that. If I have to pick up on that later, I will. First time I heard Tina Marie was on the radio and I was like, wow, this sister can sing. And then the first time I saw her was a few months later on Soul Train. She did a duet with Rick James. I'm a sucker for your love. After the, I'm watching this with my parents and I'm dumbfounded as to how this white looking woman could sing. And then afterwards she's introduced as Don Cornelius also always used to do would introduce the singers on the show after they first sing. And she introduced herself to the world as Tina Marie. This was her first solo album after years of being a backup singer in on Motown. She was a Motown artist, Gordy Records, Barry Gordy's uh, record label. Motown was his entire record label, but he had different names. Uh, Tamla was one which was named after Stevie Wonder's first daughter. And Gordy Records, which... I believe was the very first Motown imprint. My parents and I are watching this on a black and white TV, and my and I'm like, "Pop, mom, I didn't know Tina Marie was was white." And my father goes, "Nah, man, nah, fuck that. I could tell she's Puerto Rican." Listeners, faithful listeners of the program, know that anytime my father saw somebody that sounded black and looked white or was very fair-skinned, he wanted to claim him as being Puerto Rican. And my father was like, there's no way a white girl could sing like that. She's Puerto Rican, Rob. She's Puerto Rican. She's one of us. <laughs> and my mom was like, you stupid motherfucker, Silver. That girl is white. My, my father's like, nah, 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 Elsa. Nah, nah, Elsa. She She's your complexion. She, she... She Puerto Rican just like you. She she got some tan to her. And I'm laughing my fucking ass off. And so my father convinced me that she was Puerto Rican. He kept over and over every time he heard on the radio, oh, that's that Puerto Rican broad, Tina Marie. And my father's like, listen to her name, Tina Marie. Rob, her name is Tina Marie. That ain't no white girl name. That's a Puerto Rican name, Tina Marie. Tina Marie. Roberto, her name is Tina Marie. So my father convinced me at my tender age of 11 years old that Tina Marie was Puerto Rican. More on that later. Let's see who's up next with a voice note and what song is next. The next voice note is from Aja. Aja, and then we will play Deja Vu and we'll talk all about it. On the other side, Tina Marie! Tina Marie is Boricua! Tina Marie is probably the only white girl singer that I really got down with and still do. She exists on my playlist. She um, has accompanied a few of my books I know I speak a lot about writing to certain singers vocalists songs and for me if I am actually writing and not just playing 
as I lead up to writing, but I'm writing through a song that lets you know that the song is perfect for me. Like the tone of the voice, the lyrics, the instruments, just everything about it just is on point for me if I'm able to write through it. And Tina Marie's Dear Lover is one of those songs that I've played on loop. I think um, my Halloween release, Wicked Nights, was, I think I wrote the entire book to Tina Marie's Dear Lover. And like when I think about it, um, the lyrics as you open it up, you know, like... If I could paint a picture, it would be all of you and all of me. Like, there's nothing more romantic than this expression of um, music to describe how deep our love goes for our man. It's just like, it's the perfect thing to say how much you love him is um the lyrics to some of these jams the tone the quality of the voice it's just everything about it is just a way to express love and so I try so hard to use um songs that really get to the heart of what I'm writing about so that my mind, my spirit, and my physical ability are all aligned to create the perfect experience for my reader and for me as a writer. Tina Marie um, had a quality about her voice that is very unique. There are no other Tina Marie's, you know. And um, her music, I feel like, along with so many others that we've been discussing will um, stand the test of time. It um, will be enjoyed by people as long as it's being played, as long as it's being streamed, as long as we can share her music people are going to be enjoying tina marie's music they're going to be enjoying um square biz you know like it's not one of my favorite but i know a lot of people that's their song um mine is dear lover and deja vu because deja vu for me is very personal i feel like it really speaks to my spirit my soul um, since I was a little girl, I've been told that, you know, I have an old soul and that I'm wise beyond my years and that I've definitely been here before. And, um, so I can relate very much to the lyrics of the song and to the tone, the quality of the music, everything she's got to say. I just, I, I just eat it all up. <laughs> Um, the music that she did with Rick James, you know, was cool as well. Um, 
but I'm I'm really into like her solo performances and specifically those two Portuguese um that that one is is cool too I play that one ooh la 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 you know was probably one of the first jams that I you know I can remember by her I can't tell you the year um but you know she was out before I was really knowing what I was doing as far as music um but yeah, like I feel like, you know, Tina created the types of songs that you can either slow drag to or you can um, definitely dance to and um, which makes her to me the, the perfect type of artist because you can live your, li your life and experience many different things um, with her music in the backdrop. So once again, <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm always honored and feel blessed to be able to discuss the gifts of other people, um, specifically those in music, because music is a part of my life. It is everything. I play music every day and um, for large portions of the day. So um, to be able to discuss how it impacted me and impacts me is such a blessing. And I find that you, Robert, are a blessing to the community um, with your enthusiasm for music, um, specifically Black music, but even those that are in the fringes of and contributed to um, the Black experience, I think... Um, you are a blessing for that and thank you so much for building a community around it so um blessings to everyone can't wait to hear i'm still in the process of trying to catch up um but i will and and i know that i'm going to be happy with everything i hear talk to you later
Man, uh, I want to thank uh, Aja for the great words that call me a blessing. You also are a blessing to those out there that love romance, love romance with black people, amongst black people, especially a black and a woman, a black man and a black woman, black couples. You are a blessing, Aja, to those who... Love black love through your writings. Uh, so I appreciate your words about me being a blessing, bringing out these shows. I'm just doing what I've loved since I was five years old, and that is black soul music. Even when sung by a white woman who is authentic in her soulfulness as Tina Marie. Um, I loved how you talked about Dear Lover. We'll be playing that later on. But you also mentioned Deja Vu, Aja, and how you were told since you were a little girl that you were an old soul and that you might have been here before. I've always felt like I've been here before because I believe since I was five years, old, five years old, especially when I was seven and seeing Shaka Khan on Soul Train, Made my dick hard that I was an old soul. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, next week's episode will be on Shaka Khan. So I will probably be at my nastiest and horniest. <laughs> All jokes aside, since I was five years old and definitely since I was seven, I've always been an old soul because my mother, even though my mother was born in 1947, she loved music that was before her time. She loved music that, from a Billie Holiday, her first vocal idol. Then La Lupe, who was her next vocal idol in the 1960s. People used to tell my mother all the time, oh, you look like La Lupe. There's physical resemblances both there. They, La Lupe was a shade, two shades darker than my mother, but they had the same smile, same physical attributes. Um, but I, Aja, just like you, have felt that I've been here before. Deja vu. You get deja vu. I get deja vu all the time. I'm sitting at the table, and a word comes across. I'm on the phone with my my, my lady, and I feel like I had this conversation with Either her or another woman in another lifetime. I have my theory on deja vu. Now, I'm going to throw it out there. I mean, you might call me crazy, but this is just me from years of seeing things that I knew I saw before, but I just can't put my hand on it. I'm thinking, and listen to my logic, that when you die... That when you die, I just got a text message from my sister. Let me see something here. All right. All right. Uh, I'll just, I will just 
tell her this. I will reschedule. Okay. Sorry for the delay. Now back to the regularly scheduled program. I will reschedule. All right. Um, back to what I was saying. Um, this is my logic. That we, when we die, we live the same life all over again. And that's why deja vu occurs because we've been here before. We were in this situation before in another lifetime. And so when we die, we go back to square one. And when I hear deja vu and I hear the lyrics and... Real quick, uh, let me see some some of the lyrics here. Um, get the lyrics up. Uh, masterfully written by Rick James, by the way. This is from her debut album, Wild and Peaceful, Tina Marie's debut album, which was predominantly written and produced by Rick James. I'm young and I'm old. I'm rich and I'm poor. I feel like I've been on this earth many times before. This right here is a telling, uh, a telling lyric coming up. Once I was a white gazelle on horseback riding free, searching in the darkness for a piece of me. White gazelle. Right then and there, I should have known she was white, right? Now, later on in the song, she goes, I used to be a queen, you know, in an island by the sea with rainbow-colored people. Now, Tina Marie is a white soul singer. I told you from the very beginning of the podcast, the opening segment, that she was as real as it got because she was authentic in her heart and soul about the music and about the culture. One of the very few white people I've seen in my lifetime that was authentic when it came to black cultures. The reason why she has an approval rating of 100% with black music consumers Black music lovers, black people, period. I used to be a queen, you know, in an island by the sea with rainbow colored people. That's people of all colors. Like uh, Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Coalition. This is a rainbow of all colors. Brown, yellow, white, chocolate, mocha, caramel, green. <laughs> oh. Man, um, and the way she sings this song with so much soul. Love this song. Love this song. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm playing 13 Tina Marie songs on this podcast. That's the maximum I've always played. This podcast is probably going over four hours. All right, with all the voices, we got a record number of voice notes. I mean, people came out with love for Tina Marie. And all these voice notes are from black people, period. You see the love that they have for Tina Marie. If I did an Elvis Presley podcast, which I never... If you ever see me do an Elvis Presley Eminem podcast, it's not me. I have full-blown dementia or somebody's pretending to be me. Because I would never do a podcast on them fucking culture vultures. But Tina was never a culture vulture. She wasn't a culture, culture appropriator. She was authentic. Just brilliant. You see... How soulful she sings throughout this whole song Brilliantly arranged by Rick James And you have the background
backup singers that are phenomenal, and they were a group called the Colored Girls that were that were developed by Rick James, and they would sing backup on Rick James's uh, albums and in concert. And I think a year later, he changed their names to the Mary Jane Band. And they were a precursor to the Mary Jane Girls. Not the same girl, not the same group of ladies, but you had the Color Girls, who were Rick James' main backup group, backup singers. They flowed perfectly and with the way they sung the backup vocals on this song. It's a masterpiece piece of a song, over seven and a half minutes. And ladies and gentlemen, get used to it. This entire podcast will have a lot of songs. Six or seven minutes long. <laughs> and Tina is so great that you want to hear every second of those seven to seven and a half minute songs. Deja vu. I, and ladies and gentlemen, I've been here before. Aja's been here before. We've all been here before. But how have we been here before? I'll let you guys decide. Next up, we have a voice note from my... Memphis sister Kathy, and then we're gonna play I Need Your Loving, and we'll talk all about it on the other side. Uh, thanks, Rob, for asking me to uh, give a voice note on uh, the wonderful uh, Tina Marie, uh, Lady T, as she was called by Rick James. Man, has some powerful vocals. Uh, I was a young adult. And I even learned that she was black, you know, and I'm sure that I'm not the only person that learned that late, late in life. Uh, she was so talented. Uh, I actually learned more about her during the Unsung series uh, that I used to watch a lot. They used to come on TV, uh, such as her working with Motown. And uh, eventually that's how she met Rick James. Um, but when I think of Tina... I think of the songs that make me want to dance, right? Like Love a Girl, which is probably my favorite by her. Um, I know this song has been in a few movie soundtracks uh, that I can't remember now, but I know it's been in a couple of soundtracks. Uh, but this song, you know, it was the groove uh, back in the day, you know. Um, she had so much soul. I believe that she was probably played mostly on black syndications i you know i can't verify that but i would probably bet bet some money on that uh like i said you know when i think of tina marie i think of songs that make me want to dance you know square biz another song that i just thought of everybody get up you know right you know <laughs> those uh those dancing songs you know uh, unfortunately she died way too soon um but her, you know, like I'm talking about those dancing songs, but her ballads were great as well, you know, that I can remember by her. Of course, you know, the classic Fire and Desire uh, with Rick James. Uh, but again, like I said, you know, those those dancing songs, uh, when I think of, of Tina and her uh, playing the keyboards and, and on those, uh, <laughs> those, uh, those drums, you know, she was just, man just a phenomenal artist and and rob i'm glad that you're giving her her flowers on this platform you know uh, i think we all appreciated her craft as a musician just not as a singer but 
you know, she offered so much more uh, to the to the genre than just the vocals, right? Like she was a writer, you know, a composer, all all of those different things. And I can't wait to hear the other notes of what Tina meant to everyone. And especially, Rob, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on her as well. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and peace and love, everyone. Have a good one.
Never did a thing for L-O-V-I-N <laughs> Money never did a thing for loving First of all, before I get into I Need Your Loving um, I appreciate Kathy bringing up Tina Marie's dance songs Like Square Biz If you hear I Need Your Loving Which is my favorite of all her dance songs And the only dance song I'm playing on this podcast Because listeners know that all I listen to are soul ballads. I am a connoisseur of love music because I love love. <laughs> oh, I was born with a romantic heart at, at, you know, at birth. But I'm glad Kathy brought it up. And it was a perfect segue to I Need Your Loving, which has a very similar instrumental to Square Biz. When you hear I Need Your Love in a Square Biz and then you see when um the firm came up with Firm Biz and Dawn Robinson killing the hook that she took directly from Tina Marie's Square Biz. Well, I Need Your Loving, written and produced by Tina Marie with a masterful orchestra, with a masterful band. I mean, the way they are playing and they are in sync throughout this entire song with the drums, the synthesizers. The percussions, everything, the guitar, man, this is just beautiful. I need your love. L-O-V-I. And Tina, Tina with this post-disco classic dance song. You hear elements of disco and funk in this song. Masterfully, masterfully sung. By Tina Marie with her vocals And kudos to Dawn Robinson Because 17, 18 years later She was able to uh, recapture some of Tina's magic In Firm Biz You listen to Square Biz Square Biz and I Need Your Loving Very similar in the way the song is put together The instruments and the beat is the damn near an equal, damn near an equal to it. Oh man, 
L-O-V-I-N, I need your loving. This was from the, from the album Irons in the Fire. The very first album that Tina Marie wrote and produced entirely on her own. Before this, it was Rick James that was orchestrating everything. Now she's on her own. And if you think about it, and this is what I believe, I don't think I'm wrong. Tina Marie was the first female artist on Motown, whether white or black, that had total creative control of her music and that was able to write and produce everything on her own. It wasn't until 1969, 1970, when Stevie Wonder, after taking Barry Gordy to court after an intense negotiation period in which he was given a significant Amount of his royalties and his publishing that Stevie Wonder got creative control, and then Marvin Gaye, with what's going on and let's get it on, had complete creative control, but he didn't have complete ownership of his public of his publishing. No, Barry was still sticking it to him, still thieving. Barry Gordy was still thieving from Marvin Gaye, but in 1980, 81, Tina Marie was able to get. Complete creative control over her music, over her album, over what she wanted to sing. And I Need Your Lovin' is proof that she was well on her way to being one of the great female singer-songwriters that ever lived. And once again, ladies and gentlemen... Another act that's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Tina Marie deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame over a lot of people that are on the ballot this year. Neither her, Mariah Carey, Sade, we could go on and on, are not on the ballot this year. It's ridiculous. It's fucking insane. I Need Your Loving, a masterful, this song transcends time. This song would be a hit today. This song would have been hit in the disco era. This was post-disco with a disco-like flavor with with funk elements. Tremendous band. I mean, I can go on for days and days talking about this song. One last thing before I go to the next segment and the next voice note. Kathy is right. White Radio. Tina Marie was a white artist. White Radio did not play her music in New York City until maybe Ooh La La, and I'm, I might be misremembering that. that. That song might not have gotten airplay on Z100, the number one pop station in New York City. It was probably the number one radio station in New York City because it had the highest listenership because even in New York City, the majority of the, of the people in New York City are white. It's funny because so-called white soul singers like Call and Oates, like Elvis Presley, or rappers like Eminem and that fucking idiot Mark Wahlberg when he was Marky Mark. Uh, those goofballs, Macklemore and Lewis, they all got significant radio play on white pop stations. Tina Marie never did. And you know what? That adds to a fucking authenticity. Because she didn't play that white privilege card where 
She tell her management, hey, go to the ra- go go to the radio station and, and say, look, this is a white soul singer. You need to push her. She could be your white she could be your white female Elvis. Nah, Tina wasn't playing that shit. Tina catered to her audience. Tina Marie is the only white uh, singer in the history of music who would do a concert and eighty to ninety percent of the audience was black. Smoke that for a minute. All right. So once again, Kathy, I appreciate that incredible uh, voice note. Continue. Um, I know you've been busy, but I wish you could contribute more. That's why I always bug you because I love your takes, and it's a Memphis take. And I know you come from a city, and you come from a family of music lovers. We're going to hear my African brother M. Dube talk about the greatness of Tina Marie. Then we're going to play... Probably the most famous song of her discography worldwide. Her top five duet of all time with her soulmate, Rick James. And we'll talk all about it on the other side. Tina Marie was known most for her unmistakable voice, an elastic and vibrant soprano that exemplifies soul, funk, rock, and any other style that that lifted her spirit and sparked her creativity. She made waves with her debut single, I'm a Sucker for Your Love, which dropped in 1979, after several bad years, not bad actually, and fruitful years of development with Motown. The artistic boost she received from Rick James was the quick start she needed to boost her career. You can see it in their partner. You can see the chemistry, the chemistry they had in their partnership fire and desire, which is to me one of the best duets of all times. She truly came into her home with her second, third, and fourth albums. She won Grammy. No, no, no. She didn't want a Grammy, actually, my bad. But, yeah, she was worthy of winning Grammy because she was that good. And I would say my favorite song from hers will be Out on the Lamp. She was just that good to me. Like She remains a staple of black radio with R&B. It's such as Behind the Groove, Square Bees, or Ooh La La La, which was sampled by the Fugees, I believe. So, this, for me, she is one of the staples of the blue-eyed soul in the 80s. Yeah, thanks, Ojira, once again, for giving me this opportunity. To all the listeners, be blessed. Wow, it's really good to see you again, baby, and I must admit, you're looking very, very, very nice these days. I guess life must be treating you well. Oh, me? Well, I've just been doing the same old thing I've always been doing, you know, I've got a new lady now, and it's a little different than it was. 
You know, I think back to when we met The way I used to be and the cold way I used to act But more than that, I think of how you changed me with your love and sensitivity Remember when I used to Go. Oh. 
think we both say a little too much today. After all, T, you're kind of with somebody and I'm kind of living with somebody. But please do me a favor just before you go. Just put your arms around me and hold me like you used to. I want to thank my brother, the great M. Dube, from, um, to, for once again putting out a tremendous voice note. And it was the perfect lead into Fire and Desire. Fire and Desire, once again, proves my theory that the greatest, the greatest songs by musicians are the autobiographical ones. Why do I say that? In this song, Fire and Desire, you hear the passion that both Tina Marie and Rick James sing. If you didn't know before you heard the song, this song verified that these two were either in love or used to be in love. You never heard Rick James sing as passionately and bring out that baritone like he did in Fire and Desire. It's one of the few times in Tina Marie's career where she was out sang on a duet. The only time other than Fire and Desire that you heard Rick James sing as passionate would be in other duets with Tina Marie. Now, I'm going to play another one later on in the podcast. A song that I don't think was ever released as a single. You brought out my fire, baby. Fire and desire. The way he goes, fire and desire. You brought out my fire, baby. It's a man that is in love. Or was in love with a woman and now he's reminiscing about that love. Fire and Desire is a song about a couple who meet up years after they broke up. They had this heated love affair, this passionate love affair. It ended probably because of the man's fault, Rick James, because he had a proclivity of sleeping with multiple women, including at the same time and... He had already begun his 
lifelong addiction to cocaine and alcohol. So, the song is about a couple that had a passionate love affair. They break break up. They, they're dating other people. I know you got somebody and I got somebody. And they have a chance meeting. And those feelings resurface. Despite the fact that they've been separated for several years. Despite the fact. That they've moved on and fallen in love with other people. The love between them never died. Which, if you think about it, is the story of Rick James and Tina Marie. Because I don't believe that the love and the passion they had for each other ever died. A few months before Rick James died, he appeared on BET with Tina Marie. Uh, Rick James looked like how Alexander O'Neill looks today, uh, broken down from years of drug abuse. But it was nice to see them two do a couple of lines, not cocaine, but a couple of lines from the song. They hug each other, and you saw that the chemistry was still there. You saw that the love was still there. A couple of months later, he died. And you can check the toxicology report for why he died. I'm not going to get into it. This is a celebration of uh, Tina Marie's career. I will eventually do an episode on Rick James because he was one of the greatest singer-songwriters of his era. Rick James, along with Lionel Richie, kept Motown afloat after the golden years had died in the early 1980s it was Lionel Richie and Rick James that kept Motown afloat because despite the fact that Stevie Wonder was put still putting out great music he was sporadic with it in the 1970s Stevie put out an album every year in the 1980s he would sometimes take three four years off before making an album it was Rick James and Lionel Richie year in and year out putting out great Great music Individually and writing for other people That kept Barry Gordy afloat But eventually Rick James left Motown Lionel Richie took a brief hiatus For music And Barry Gordy was forced to sell As No one was making music The only other artist in the early 80's Well Yeah early to mid 80's That was making Revenue for Barry Gordy was debauched. Other than that, all the other groups had moved on. Or, like a Stevie Wonder, wasn't recording as often. The Temptations, their prime had passed. The only album they had that was a huge success was the one that Rick James produced, the Reunion album. So, Back to Fire and Desire. I always talk about autobiographical songs being the greatest songs for legendary singers. No greater case could be made for my theory than Fire and Desire because you hear Tina and Rick singing their unadulterated passion for each other. And it's a love that I believe never died and that when Rick James died, a massive part of Tina Marie died, and then she would die. 
six years later. Tragic that we lost these two giants too soon. Too soon. It, it, it still breaks my heart. But when you hear Fire and Desire, the song is magnificent. Because of the love that these two people still had for each other That they always had And as far as passion goes With a couple in a duet I only saw it matched One other time And that was 11 years later When Casey Haley and Mary J. Blige Did if loving you was wrong I don't want to do anything I don't want to do anything else is if loving you is all that I want love you if loving you is all that I wanted to I don't want to do anything else Casey and Mary sounded just like Rick and Tina like they were making love before during and after performing the song in the studio now why are both duets so passionate because of the relationship that the couple had in both duets Rick and Tina in 1981 either were together or had just broken up from a passionate love affair Casey and Mary in 1992 were in the midst of their relationship that was violent on both ends A lot of cocaine and alcohol You could say that Mary and KC were the 1990 version of Tina and Rick. That's how passionate they were. And you heard it in I Don't Want to Do Anything Else. Okay. The next voice note we're going to hear from a new contributor, Simone. After we hear from Simone, we are going to hear... My brother from Detroit, James, the music theory specialist. They're both going to talk about the greatness of Portuguese love. I'm going to play Portuguese love. And then I have a personal story about Portuguese love that might get me thrown off the, uh, off the internets. We'll talk all about it on the other side. So Tina Marie is one of my favorite, favorite artists of all time. Um, and I was, as I was um, thinking about what to say um, about her for this, I was trying to think, hmm, what is it that, that makes her one of my favorite artists? So I think with her, it's because she sings with so much passion and intensity and she just is undeniable. I mean, you really, when she sings these songs, you really hear her yearn and desire for, you know, her lover or whoever she, she wants to be with. Um, and, you know, growing up, of course, you know, I remember all of her albums growing up. But I think the one that stands out in my mind is Square Biz, right? Because I can remember my mom listening to The Quiet Storm on WBLS with Vaughn Harper and when Portuguese Love came on, it was like, oh my God, I would be up listening with my mom like, oh, this lady is really in, in love, love. Like she, she's deep in it. 
And, you know, I think we never really thought of her as like a white artist. I mean, you know, of course, we listened to um, other, you know, artists like the Bee Gees and, you know, David Bowie, John Lennon, Paul McCartney. But Tina Marie, she was she was different. She just had that special sauce. Right. She had that she had that it factor. And I mean, she had to be because she was with, you know, she was with Motown. And Rick James, you know, you had to, you had to have it if you were going to hang with Rick James. So that's, that's, you know, just my little take on why she's one of my favorite artists and um, she sings some of my favorite, favorite songs. Yo, what's up, my brother Rob? Let's get into it. Shout out to all the listeners of the Legend of Sports and Music podcast. This week, we're talking about Mary Brockett, a.k.a. Tina Marie, as we all love her. Uh, Just personally for Tina Marie, for me, she has always been one of those um, singer performers that didn't get enough recognition of what she can do from beyond the mic. Her composition, her ability to arrange, and of course, her ability to, you know, have an amazing songwriting capability. Those things right there, when you can couple those all together and you got one of the most uh, distinctive voices out there, oh man, you, you just have a recipe for hit after hit after hit after hit. And I think sometimes it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit shade, it's a little bit shrouded, you know. Um, everybody knows that, but because, you know, she was, she was definitely, um, you know, she had a friend of Rick James. They collaborated on a lot of things. You know, sometimes I think that kind of shadows her actual ability to stand on her own. For me personally, I believe that she's probably one of the most underrated female musicians. And I say musicians because she's also, you know, can play guitar. She can play keys. She can play percussion. She can play congas. She can do all that stuff, right? She's one of the underrated, you know, people in music in my eyes. And I think where we have to really appreciate her at is, is that just her ability to arrange songs more than anything and the ability to arrange them in such a way that she can make some of the most unique vocally sounding songs out there. For example, one of my favorite songs is Portuguese love. In the spirit of Valentine's Day, of course. But if you think about this song, right, there are certain songs that come on that you know they're not playing around. From the minute intro, from the from from as soon as the needle hit the record, when it hit that dun 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 dun, like that stop that stop break beat that happens there, you know that the song is coming, coming to bring it off. And when she goes into her vocals and it's very smooth and it got that that very uh, South American flair, very low percussive sound behind her singing with the strings that come in and out to then turn over to the traditional band elements, your keys, your, your, your drums, and your actual bass. Oh, man, it ties in so together. And it's such a multifaceted song that it takes you on that journey in the beginning and for the first four minutes you kind of vibing and grooving to that tina marie very big room high reverb voice above the music sound 
And in that five minutes, it turns you up to a very high upbeat uh, South American jazz flavor where high on percussion, high on beat, high on tempo. And then after that, it slows you down. It takes you back down to a very chill space, a more smooth jazz space where you interject just a little bit of scat here and there, where you interject just a little, little bit of walking notes, a little bit of repeated vocals, just a little bit. A little ad lib here from Rick James, you know, bringing back that love element there. I mean, it's, an, it's, an, it's a sonic masterpiece. And it's so underrated. I don't know why, but I don't know. It's, it's it's just so underrated for those of us who enjoy music because that's the purest form of art where you actually take the listener from one point and resolve them all the way to the end. You take them along this journey, the ups and downs, the back and forth, the push and pulls, and then you're able to resolve them at the end. I mean, I mean, damn, that's that's almost, you know, akin to a movie, right? A perfect movie takes you from beginning to end and resolves you at the end. Music does that, too. And Portuguese love is just an example of that. You know, I've always said this, that Portuguese love is, is this is my kind of analogy of it, right? Is that you got your Anita Baker caught up in a rapture, right? And that's your your pretty painting with watercolors, nice and smooth, nice and clean, you know, very, very um, floaty and airy, but very smooth. And then you got Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it, which is your portrait that's scribbled with the charcoal, right? It, it's kind of jagged, it's kind of rough, but it's very rigid, but it's got that rhythmic, it, sound to it has got those breaks in there you know tina turner's got that natural distortion in her voice and for me tina uh tina marie portuguese love sits somewhere in the middle and see all three can create a beautiful portrait and a beautiful piece of art it's just the way they go about getting it done and that's what i enjoy about tina marie and her crazy um, soprano voice tone. I mean, is it even a soprano? I guess technically it's a soprano, but her voice tone that she has and the way she can sing above the music but control the tempo rhythmically with her voice, add that distortion, reach down, come back up, throw ad libs out, go into this kind of one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four kind of rhythmic singing, but then bring it back to your traditional ballad singing. Man, I can go on and on and on and on because it's it's really complex sonically. You know, it's 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 not if you listen to Portuguese Love, it's not the easiest song I I would say to enjoy at first. However, if you sit back and you just let the music take you, don't concentrate on anything. Let the music take you. I guarantee you, you will see and hear and visualize what I'm talking about. You know, no rest in heaven to the late great Tina Marie. And I like to say to her personally, you know, thank you for all the great music you've put out there. Um, they're some of the most unique songs ever made. And they're some of the most unique songs that I've heard that's been arranged and I guess you can say the, you know, the soul R&B music genre 
it's it's some of the stuff that she has out there, guys, is amazing. So that's all I got for you. It's your boy James coming from Detroit. Um, talking about one of my favorite artists. I'm gonna cut it short because I can keep going, but I'm gonna cut it short. I appreciate you, Rob, as all times is letting us discuss music in this intimate space. I appreciate all the listeners from the Legends and Sports and Legends of Sports and Music podcast. And I'll talk to you next time. Peace.
Once again, great voice notes by James and a new contributor, Simone. Simone, fellow New Yorker, grew up in New York, just a few years younger than me. I don't think she's as old as me. As me. I think she's a few years younger than me, but unless the lady says her age, I'm not going to guess the age. I'm just going to say she's younger than me. And James, once again... Breaking down Portuguese love like the classic it is. And I have a personal story concerning Portuguese love. Ladies and gentlemen, I forewarned you, if you have children listening in the car or at home, fast forward 10 minutes to the next segment. Right? Uh, this is not for their ears. I was, I was 15 years old. When I talked about on the Isley Brothers podcast An interaction I had with a welfare social worker That wasn't my first dabble In a sexual one night stand with someone It was the second time I had sex in my lifetime The first time I had sex where I lost my virginity I was 13 years old May 7th, 1981, we had moved into Millbrook Housing, the Millbrook Projects in the South Bronx. My apartment was on 135th Street and Cypress Avenue, right by the Bruckner Boulevard. We had moved in three and a half weeks earlier. So on May 7th, 1981, I lost my virginity to a woman that I had met previous November her name was Sheila she was a caramel complected short well she was as tall as me in when I when I turned 13 I was five foot one I'm five foot six now but I was five foot one at 13 105 pounds soaking wet I was a skinny motherfucker Sheila was my same height as me Caramel complexion and the body that I love But the first time I met her in November of 1981 My mother was in a hospital Because she had double pneumonia One of the three times that she almost died In her lifetime As I've mentioned several times in this podcast My mother has avoided death My mother has defeated death Three or four times It might, not even, it might be more than three times In her 75 years on this planet Well 
I was staying with my aunt, my titi, in Spanish Harlem. She had an apartment on 117th Street and Lexington Avenue. That apartment back then was a spot for heroin addicts, the whole nine. It was crazy. Today, that same apartment has a doorman, it's a condo, and the rent is probably 100 times more than it was back in 1981. Anyway, I was staying with my titi, and I was going to school at at the time. It was my first year at junior high school, 123, in the Soundview section of the Bronx. So I would take the 6th train from Soundview to 116th Street and then walk up one block in Lexington and walk up one block to 117th in Lexington. And go with my my um titi, go go stay with my titi. This was every day. I was my me and my three siblings. My father stayed in our. We were living in a welfare apartment because in October, uh, the month prior, we were living in. I'm trying to get this correct now. I'm trying to get the apartment. Uh, Elder Avenue, Westchester Avenue. The building was burnt to the ground, and we were placed in a welfare hotel, and then my mother got sick because during that fire, she was outside with no cold. It was like 20 degrees that night. She got sick, and we had to rush her to the hospital, and she almost died of double pneumonia. So while she's recuperating in the hospital, I stayed with my aunt. While I'm staying with my aunt, she has this friend named Sheila, and I see that Sheila is very attractive. I mean, every time I saw Sheila, my dick got hard, but I kept it cool. I didn't say anything. Sheila was 25. I'm 12, I'm 12 at the time. I'm, that's a grown woman. One day, after my mother was released from the hospital, she meets Sheila while visiting her sister, my, my titi's uh, apartment, and this is after I went back to live with, with, with my parents because my mother was out the hospital. And my mother told me, you ever met uh, my sister's friend, Sheila? I said, yeah, yeah, we talked a few, a, a, few, a few. And then my mother says, well, Sheila told me one time you came home late from school, which is true. One time I came home, not came home, but came to my Titi Elia's house, my, my mother's sister, Elia, who... Unfortunately died young She was only 38 when she died In 1988 um, And she died from a Heroin overdose But in 1980 she was 30 years old And she wasn't using any drugs It was a fucking man that got her onto uh, I'm not even gonna get into it Rest in peace uh, Titi Elia Anyway I told my mother Yeah that day I came After 6 o'clock because I was studying with some classmates And Instead of coming At 5 o'clock Around 5 o'clock Came after 6 o'clock Because we were studying for an exam And mom I told Elia this And my mother's like I, I know I know Sheila says she was impressed By the way You answered Elia When Elia questioned you About where were you and she said, you said it was so much confident, confidence. Oh, I was studying with my, my friends for an exam. 
She said you sounded so confident And she says I love your son's confidence And my mother's like She said it like it turned her on And I smiled And my mother's like Yeah well just to warn you uh, I told her not to ever talk about my son like that again And then I started laughing And then my mother's like I'm warning you now Women like that You gotta be careful I know she's your type because she's, she got that brown skin that you love. And she got the fat ass that you like. And if a woman that age, 25, this is what my mother was explaining to me. If a woman at 25 can be turned on by your attitude, then think about the girls your age that you might like. And that. The way you present yourself They might be looking at you the same way So my mother was telling that to me As a, as a way of You know Helping me up my self esteem Because you know at 12 years old you know, At that point in time You know I'm, I'm On the cusp of puberty My shit is rock hard all the time And you know I'm having fantasies in the whole nine But I haven't done anything yet my mother is giving, is telling me, and she did this throughout my entire childhood. Shit, she still do the t does it today when we talk about uh, women and the women I like. It's like, oh, you know, you've always, in my eyes, Robert, you've always been attractive, and you're always confident. The way you carry yourself, you're funny. You got my sense of humor, which I do. I do have my mother's sense of humor. But anyway, back when I was twelve, my mother was like explaining to me that if a grown woman like Sheila can see that I'm attractive Then imagine what Other uh, girls My age would think So Sheila started coming around To my New apartment That my parents moved us in Into the Millbrook Projects in April Of 1981 April 12th 1981 Is when we moved into our projects So for the first few weeks Every Friday my parents from then until my father got sick in 1999 used to have several Friday night and Saturday night get-togethers with friends at the apartment. And Sheila would always come and she'd be wearing these short skirts or these tight jeans. I mean, just looking as delicious as ever. Found out that she had a thing for my father Now she told my mother that she loved my confidence in the whole nine But she was really digging my father And she would flirt openly with my father And my mother Right before my 13th birthday Told Sheila Nah You gotta stop fucking flirting with my husband A. He's not interested in you Cause you're not his type And B. Shit is fucking too obvious And my mother told Sheila She's no longer allowed in our apartment. So, a week later. Well, maybe a week. I mean, I'm trying to think. That Friday would have been May. F Let me see. Let me get the dates right. Because we moved in on April 12th, which was a Sunday. So, 1926. Three. So, that would have been May 1st. 
Sixth May 1st was the last time she hung out with my parents and my aunt Elia, my tita Elia. My mother told her, I don't, I don't want you, uh, you know, flirting with my, with, with my father, Silva, her husband. And my father wasn't looking at her like that. But when my father saw, figured out that night that she had a thing for him, he decided to use her having a thing for him to continue a silver men tradition that had been going on, according to my father, for hundreds of years, which is bullshit, right? We only came, my father only came to the United States in 1950 with his family. I, um, I, I believe that his father did that with his, him and his brothers, but I, I think the tradition started with my grandfather. And what was that tradition? I believe it was, I don't believe my great grandfather did this bullshit. I think my grandfather started this where he had all of his sons at 13 lose their virginity by him bringing them a prostitute and they'd have sex on their 13th birthday to lose their virginity. My father saw how Sheila was digging my father and so he convinced her to have sex with me on my 13th birthday May 7th 1981 My mother went out to go buy me a birthday gift At that same time My mother, my father calls Sheila Because he had gotten her number And invites Sheila over to the apartment And my, my, my father told Sheila Look you have to make this quick Alright You have to make this quick Because I don't know when Elsa's coming back And Elsa don't want you here and Sheila proved that day that she would do anything for my father. She like was okay. And then my father, this was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It usually was around 4 o'clock when my siblings, all three of my siblings, came back from school. So my father, just in case, blasted the tape deck that had Portuguese love on it. It was a single. It was those tape singles that they used to sell back in the day. It wasn't the entire cassette. And did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. I heard that. And Sheila disrobed real quick. And my shit was rock hard. And Sheila was like, Bobby, let me take care of you, Bobby. Just lay back. I laid back on my bed. And Sheila began to... Uh, Give me fellatio But she only did it for about 30 seconds Because she felt that I was going to explode And she stopped And then she said Now you're going to Now you're going to go inside me And I was like I, I, I don't know what to do She said don't worry about it Let me guide you Just get on top of me I got on top of her And she grabbed with her hands My stick And put my stick inside of her and within 30 seconds, I came like a fucking waterfall. And then I got out and I was screaming, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding. And she was like, she was laughing, saying, no, no, you're not. You're not bleeding. Does that look like blood? You've come. And then I look at, at my thing and I was like, oh, shit, my mom was right. And Sheila was like, your mom was right? Yeah, my mom, I, I, I told Sheila, my mom said that when I... When I come, it would look like ivory soap. This shit looks like ivory soap, uh, dishwashers, 
uh, ivory dishwashing soap cleaner, whatever the fuck you call dishwashing cleaner. She started laughing, and then she got dressed, and my father started banging on the door. Come on, you gotta get the fuck out of here. My wife and kids will be here any minute. Let's get the let's get the fuck out of here. You hear Portuguese love blasting in, in, in the in the song, and then Sheila tried to hug my father. You know, real like. You know I did this for you Poppy And my father was like nah 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 You gotta get the fuck out You did me a favor I owe you one you got to go And so she started shaking her ass out the door Like you know showing my father Like this could be yours too (laughs) God Bless my father Not because of what he did for me Because I'm gonna agree with you people listening out there It was a form of child abuse God bless my father that he never looked at her the way I looked at her. He didn't look at her the way other men were looking at her. She was five foot one with like 36 C breast and an ass so fat you could bounce a quarter over it, off of it. And it would bounce up in the air with a small, tiny waist and legs for that. She was, she was the perfect. Woman for me to lose my virginity to Because she reminded me of Shaka Khan With her figure She was drop dead Sexy She was gorgeous Oh my god She was unreal looking And my father looked at her like You know that was his cousin or sister He wasn't into her That wasn't He was using her He, he I'm, I see that she digs me And I'm gonna use her to Continue this tradition For the next two years Until I met this social worker At my summer school Summer youth job in 1983 I talked all about this On the Isley uh, podcast So for two Almost two and a half years It was May 7th 1981 I was 13 when I lost my virginity I didn't have sex again Until August of 1983 Every day for two years, I had wet dream after wet dream. Every day, I'd be in the dream, and if I saw a girl's fat ass in the dream, I'd come. And I would try and stop in the dream, but it wouldn't. It would just explode. And my mother who was doing the laundry. We had a washing machine. I talked about the washing machine on my last podcast, the Whitney Houston uh, podcast. We had a washing machine. And my mother's like, I can't. Keep trying to get these stains out of your underwears. You got to stop with the wet dreams. And I said, Mom, I can't control it. It just happens. She said, you horny motherfucker, what's going on? I will talk on a later podcast about when my mother found out that I did this and the hell that she wrecked. Once she found out, man, it's another story for another day. But for the next two years, two years and some change, I had wet dream after wet dream after wet dream. And, man, never, I'll never forget it. Unfortunately for Sheila, just like my Aunt Elia, Sheila died young. Sheila was 32. Seven years later, and this would have been... Damn it, Sheila and Elia died both in the same year, 1988. Elia died, died October 3rd, 1988. 
Sheila died during the summer of 1988. She was only 32 years old. She was dealing with this crack dealer, her boyfriend, and he she cheated on him. And when he found out, he murdered her. He strangled her to death. Elia told my mother, and you know, my mother was like, Oh, you remember that whore that you lost your virginity to, Rob? Well, she continued whoring and her boyfriend murdered her. I said, Mom, that's not nice. She said, you see, you do dirt, you die dirty. I said, Mom, that's not nice. And my mother was like, fuck her. She deserved that shit. I said, Mom, that's not nice. Uh, You see where I get my ornery side from. But no, uh, despite... My mother's uh, hatred of the woman. And it's understandable. I felt real bad that she had died. And that motherfucker had no cause to put hands on Sheila. She cheated on her. He should have known that she was, you know, a good time girl. She slept around a lot. That's just the way she was. Fine as hell, but... Yeah, she was a whore. Let me not speak ill of the dead. Rest in peace, Sheila. Rest in peace, Titi Ilya. Rest in peace, my father. My father was not a perfect man. None of us are perfect. He thought he was doing the right thing by me. He fucked my head up because for two fucking two years I was fucking exploded in my drawers every night with wet dreams. But uh, once I got with the social worker in August of 85, things started to uh, get better for me because then I started meeting other girls and uh, I no longer had to deal with older women. And the last time I dealt with an older woman was when I was 15 because since then I've dated women either my age or younger uh, my girlfriend is 37, I'm 54. My last girlfriend was 47 when we broke up. Well, she had 46 going on 47. And um, so it's always been age-appropriate women. And I'll never date a woman older than 45 ever again, unless I'm 75. <laughs> now let me stop. Anyway, this segment's going on far too fucking long. For those who stop, who are still listening, because a bunch of you probably stopped listening, we're going to hear from my buddy Tyrone, and then we're going to play Dear Lover. Hello, Legends fam. Good evening, good morning, and good afternoon. You know, when I saw that Rob was going to be doing a tribute to Tina Marie, I figured it'd be remiss, and no tribute would be complete without uh, someone discussing what Tina Marie means to those of us who are from Los Angeles, California, the city of angels. And I figured I wanted to step up to the plate and give you, uh, just a kind of a rundown and a larger, broader picture. I know she belongs to all of us, but she specifically belongs to us because she was born and bred where we were. That's where she was groomed in the business by Rick James. And, uh, being a for show LA brother, I wanted to talk about how she's in that pantheon of, uh, of great singers uh, from our area and what she means. Uh, but let me break down my bona fides. Uh, 
I grew up listening to everything from KJLH with Cliff Winston in the morning and the afternoon to dedicating songs to girls I liked on uh, 92.3 The Beat with Frankie Ross. Going back to the days of K-Day with Greg Mack. Uh, I went to 59th Street School in South Central LA, but I also lived for a time on the West Side, going to Canfield Elementary and went to school at Palms Junior High, which is known as the school where Ice-T went to high school, junior high school as well, Palms and Overland. Uh, Tina's from Santa Monica specifically. And uh, our public transit in Santa Monica is known as the Big Blue Bus. And I used to ride with my mom from everywhere to the store to our college class at UCLA, uh, shopping at Tower Records in Westwood. And uh, Tina was a big part of my childhood. If you want to know how big and how much she is beloved in Los Angeles, just look up Tributes and Tina Marie. In fact, go back to the YouTube tribute. Go 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 to YouTube and look up Michelle A. Tribute to Tina Marie, and it was a KJLH sponsored event back in 2010 or 2011, I believe. And all the people, particularly the sisters, were showing out there, and uh, uh, Michelle A. did a fire set in uh, her rendition of Square Biz is probably the best anybody's ever done other than Tina Marie herself, uh, the live rendition of it. So this is some of the names uh, of singers from my hometown, uh, Ladies of Soul, specifically. Etta James, Natalie Cole, Karen White, Michelle A, of course. Shanice, she wasn't born there, but she moved there when she was eight. So she was raised there. So we consider her one of ours. And I know Minnie Riverton was born and raised in uh, Chicago, but she's sort of one of ours too, because she spent a lot of time in Los Angeles as well. And uh, she's very beloved there. But Tina's uh, at or near the top of that pantheon. And it's only fitting that someone like Michelle A does the best, did the best tribute of her. But if you just do tributes to Tina Marie every year, Somewhere in Los Angeles, uh, there's something, uh, there's some event at some club or some location where someone's doing a tribute to Tina Marie and it always sells out. Always sells out. Uh, never fails. Now, I know there's a lot of, a lot of them that are millennials and some folks who are a little bit younger some of them are closer to my age and there's just been this whole big deal lately about people who've never created a goddamn thing, who haven't created shit, trying to gatekeep the culture, telling us that our brothers and sisters who speak Spanish aren't as black as those who don't, and those who are from the Caribbean are not truly creators in our, in our cultures, uh, our cultural arts. And that's all bullshit. And I'm not here for any of that division, but I'll tell you what, if uh, anybody hears this and is part of that particular uh, cultishness where you're defining our contributors strictly by how they look or where they were raised, let me just say this. If you go out to certain parts of Southern California, particularly Los Angeles, 
and you say something greasy about Tina Marie with an earshot of some of these sisters who are my age, a little bit younger, a little bit older, you're subject to get cussed out or worse, get hands put on you. The sisters out there where I'm from don't play that. And believe you me, just like the brothers are the gatekeepers to lyricism and hip hop, and who gets to ride in the car as great lyricism, the gatekeepers to R&B music are black women. And Tina Marie got the cosign from black women. Period. She gets to come to the cookout. She gets to bring potato salad to the cookout if she wants to. Tina Marie has privileges. And that's because the sisters deigned it so, and it started with Los Angeles. And speaking of that, one of the reasons why is, and it can only be done, by, it, it can only come from that type of cosign, that type of cultural acceptance can only come from someone who was given tutelage and the proper guidance under a great black artist who understands our, di- uh, our, our art forms, our dialectics, uh, our idioms, and how to guide a sincere white artist through that. And so let's not uh, forget to recognize the genius of Rick James. And the reason Tina was accepted is because Rick James made sure that Tina did not traffic in whiteness. Her first record was put out without any sort of press release about what she looked like or who she was. They just put the music out there. Let our people accept you for the music. If they love the music and they feel you sincere, you will always be accepted in the black community. Just like whether you like Eminem or not. From Busta Rhymes to Chuck D to Nas, they all, Jay-Z, they all co-signed for him because he came up not like Vanilla Ice as some sort of industry plan. He came up battling brothers in the street on the mic the hard way. Tina Marie was an intern at Motown, and that's where she was discovered. Uh, she put in the work learning, being classically musically trained, and uh, that's where Rick discovered her and brought her up through the ranks. Um, another example is there are murals in Venice, California, on walls to Tina Marie. So... I just want to throw that out there. She was a big part of my childhood. Um, I have a, a playlist of songs that always put me in a good mood that I use. I'm a commercial CDL driver. So when I want to get in a good mood while I'm driving, um, there's a playlist that I have and Square Biz is on there. That's one of my 10 or 15 songs that no matter what mood I'm in, I can always uh, put that song on and I'm in a good mood but so many great songs from her. And I was asking Rob if he could go ahead and play Dear Lover because that's my favorite uh, deep cut from her. With that, I'm going to bid y'all adieu and y'all can continue on.
Once again, Tyrone breaks down a song beautifully. I mean, he breaks down the entire Dear Lover song to a science, like he did on the Whitney Houston podcast when he broke down For the Love of You and One Moment in Time. Uh, Tyrone, a great student of music and sports, the man is a wealth of knowledge, and the man knows his music. Just a phenomenal job, Tyrone. I appreciate you, bro. You are a brilliant man. And I mistakenly thought he was much younger than what he is. He's only a few years younger than me. 50 years old with a not with the wisdom and knowledge of a 90-year-old man. And um, kudos to his mom who raised a very intelligent brother. And Tyrone, like a lot of other contributors to this podcast throughout the podcast run got his love of music from his mother got his love of music from his parents just like i got my love of music from my mother kathy from her mother lala from her mother the list goes on every single person that contributes to the podcast and probably over 90 percent of my listeners got their musical taste and knowledge from their parents From going through their parents records Once again uh, Tyrone I appreciate your contribution And please don't ever stop contributing Dear Lover is a masterpiece A fucking masterpiece of a song What I love about Dear Lover Is the lost art of writing letters All my life With all my women Even my latest relationship I've written love letters I will Send a letter to your apartment If I'm either interested in you Or after we started dating I will still send letters My ex Vonette I must have sent her over a hundred letters In the mail And she'd be like Oh I wonder what this is But she got a letter And then she would call me And read the letter I wrote To me over the phone and while she was attempting to uh, master my New York accent by imitating what I would sound like reading the letter, like if I was writing, oh, oh, and you're so soft. <laughs> uh, yes, um, matter of fact, I am recording this on February 15th. On February 19th, I will be headed upstate with my lady to her uh, parents' house in upstate New York as I meet them for the first time. I got their address from her yesterday. She's like, why do you want uh, my parents' address? I said, well, I just want to make sure that I can program it into my GPS in case your GPS, my cell phone. On my Google Maps GPS, and just in case your phone dies or whatever, you have the backup. Oh, oh, okay. She didn't. She didn't know any better. I got her address because I am writing a letter and I'm going to mail it tomorrow morning, the 16th, so it will get there Saturday. So when we show up Sunday, there will be a letter to her address for me waiting for her. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, old dogs die with old dogs with their old tricks. Never die, right? The art of a love letter, and dear lover, is. Tina Marie writing a love letter to the man she's in love with. And the way she sings this love letter is unfucking believable. If I could paint a picture of the love I have inside, it would paint all of you and all of me without no thought or pride. Then maybe you would know exactly all the things I feel. Not just a maybe, but baby, I'm for real. And then the way she... uh. Begins to up her voice Cause I've been wishing on the stars and hoping Just as it shoots across the sky Searching for the so-called answers That we're supposed to find Man, let me tell you about this song Dear lover Oh man Oh, she goes Dear lover, I hope this letter finds you Dear lover, and that it comes in time to say no, say la vie, baby dear lover, listen to me. If I could write your name out forever in the Hall of Fame, it would be history, no mystery, not all in vain. Brothers out there listening, if a woman writes you a love letter, like Tina Marie wrote this letter to the man she's in love with, cherish the love that woman has for you. Because that's a love that's damn near impossible to find. Of all the women I've dated, Vanette never wrote me a love letter. But then again, that she, that wasn't her her style. When she'd write the way she felt in birthday cards and Valentine's Day cards and Christmas cards, but she would never put a stamp on an envelope and send it to me. Uh, Mia would tell me Or text it to me She wouldn't write a letter to me um, My ex-girlfriend Tracy used to write letters to me All the time Antoinette wrote a few letters to me When we were together But um, a love To me Writing a love letter Is the most romantic way That A man could court a woman And a woman can express her love For her man because you have to sit down and write the letter. You're, you're writing your thoughts on the letter. It's not like a text where you're saying, hey, baby, I can't stop thinking about you, blah, blah, blah. No, when you're writing a letter, you're putting pen to paper. And as you write, your thoughts are being described expressively throughout the entire letter. Because once you finish writing that letter... You fold the letter up, you put it in an envelope, you put that stamp on it, put it in the mailbox. To me, that's more genuine, that's more heartfelt than a text. Because at the text is spur of the moment. You're writing a letter, that's all your desires and your love for that person being expressed coming out at that time. It's a huge difference, ladies and gentlemen, between writing a letter Sending an email or sending a text. The most personal, my most personal way of expressing my love for a woman, my desire for a woman, my appreciation of a woman is through a love letter. And dear lover 
hits home because Tina Marie is doing the same thing that I've been doing since I was 19 years old. 35 years of writing love letters. Okay, next up is my brother from Philadelphia. My condolences, Rob. Your your uh, Philadelphia Eagles lost a heartbreaking game in the Super Bowl. I stopped following major sports. I was rooting for you, though, because, you know, I want to see Jalen Hurts get the recognition and all the accolades he deserves. But hopefully you guys will come back next year or... Rob, you can follow my lead and retire from watching sports, team sports. Stick to boxing, baby. All right, Rob is going to give his thoughts on Tina Marie, one of his all-time favorite singers, and then we will play Casanova Brown, and we will talk all about it on the other side. Jizzo from Philly. What's going on, everybody? How y'all doing? Um, a little down in the dumps today, you know, um, recovering from the Super Bowl. You know, that was a gut-wrenching loss. Um, you know, but I like to quote Jalen Hurts, man, you know, when you win, you win, and when you lose, you learn. Um, and I think that young man has a great opportunity to get back to that game and um, ultimately win it. Um, today, you know, we're here doing the um, Tina Marie uh, podcast tribute um, to an iconic R&B legend. Um, she just so happens to be my mother's favorite singer. Um, Tina Marie, man, you know, one thing about her, she is one of two people that taught me um, to never judge a book by its cover. Um, her and Larry Bird, you, you know, because I'm sure, um, you know, when you heard Tina Marie, you probably thought that she was, you know, some small black lady that could blow like that. You, you know, you never imagined Tina Marie being white. Same thing with Larry Bird. Um, I never, you, you know, when you looked at him, you seen a white boy. Oh, you know how it is, man. You get on the court, we're going to dog this white boy and the boy could, the boy could ball. He, he, you know, so those two people um, very early in my life taught me to never judge a book by its cover. Um, like I said, Tina, man, just one of the great R&B um, singers in the history of rhythm and blues. You, you, you know, um, just some iconic songs. And, you know, the thing about that was I didn't even know she was white until I seen the Square Biz album cover. I was like, that's Tina Marie? And the thing about that is because, you know, you were talking about like 1980, so you couldn't just Google something and, you know, a name and a picture pop up. You know, all we had was Ebony Magazine, Jet Jet Magazine, you know, Soul Train, Solid Gold, you know, and word of mouth. You, you know, that's how you found out things back in those days, man. Um, but Tina was just, like I said, man, with some unbelievable hits, man. Um, that Square Biz album, the funny thing about that album, that was the album in which um, my stepfather, he put on on Saturday mornings. And when you heard that, you knew it was time to get up and clean. You know what I'm saying? So it was it was that I need you loving. You, you know, those were songs, man, because, you know, when you're when you're young, you know, um, your parents influence your music, you, you, you know, because like I explained in the, um, the Christmas podcast, I didn't get a I didn't get an AM FM tape tape cassette recorder into 1983 84 I was about eight nine that's when I was able to venture out 
and listen to my own music, you know, and, um, you know, see ultimately what I liked and what I didn't like, you know, what I preferred to listen to. But before that, it was all my parents, you know, whatever, whatever they were playing was the music I was influenced by. And Tina Marie, like I said, being my mom's favorite um, artist, you know, she was played constantly at, at our house, man. And um, like I said, that Saturday mornings, when you heard that Square Biz, it's time to get up. You know, by the time I got downstairs, my step pop already had the Windex out, you, you know, hitting the glass tables, Windex in the TV, carpet fresh on the carpets, you, you, you know, um, I had bathroom duties, you know, and if it was spring or summertime, it was it was hit the hit the grass, you know, mow the grass, sweep outside, you know, bleach the steps, you, you know, those type of things, man. But man, she just had some outstanding um, hits, you, you, you know, um, and her collaborations, of course, with Rick James, you, you know, Happy, The Ultimate, and Fire Desire, you know, I'm just a sucker for your love, you, you know. Um, Many, many iconic songs, Irons in the Fire, you, you know, later on, If I Were a Bell, Tina Marie, man, you know, she is in my top five, my all-time top five personal R&B women singers, or just women singers in general. You, you know, I got Whitney Mariah, Roberta Flack, Tina Marie, and I have Adele, you know what I'm saying? Some people, listen, it's my list, you, you know, it's, 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 it's not up for debate, it's not up for opinion, it's my list, you know, Adele edged out Diana Ross. You know, she was five on my list for a long, long time. And, um, you know, Adele took that spot. But Tina, man, just like I said, just, 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 man, that voice, man, just, man, you, you know, and like I said, finding out that she was white, you know, we all accepted Tina Marie as an honorary black, you, you know, she was, she was one of us, no doubt about that, you, you know, um, it just, it just, like I said, that that sound, her and Rick, you know, they were just that. They just fit like a glove, man. You, you know, you, you couldn't, you, you, you couldn't, you couldn't. Them two songs, "Happy and Fire and Desire," you, you couldn't ask for a better collaboration. You, you, you know, I mean, the chemistry was just mind blowing between them two. Um, but like I said, Tina was also able to stand out on her own, you know, by herself, you know. Um, so. That's all I got today for y'all. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry it couldn't be a little longer. Like I said, I'm still a little down in the dumps from, from my birds. Um, but definitely want to show some appreciation. Definitely thank OG for having me on this podcast, talking about Tina, man. She definitely deserves her flowers, you know. And I hope I hope she can hear this from heaven, you, you know. And everybody's spreading the love and, and definitely the appreciation that she brought to us for many, many years. Thank you. Say he loves me only, but who are you to 
Once again, my condolences to uh, Sugar Rob from Philly. I was hoping the Eagles would get your second Super Bowl championship in five years. Well, there's always next year, big man. Keep the faith. Anyway, I love your five greatest female singers of all time. That's as good as any list I've ever heard. You've got some heavyweight talents on there. You've got some legends. No, they are all legends. And I'm glad that you put Tina amongst those legends because Tina shares a lot in common with all those women. The only thing is, uh, Whitney never wrote music. The mother four wrote some masterpiece love songs, wrote some master ballads. We're all great singer-songwriters in their own right. So, uh, once again, great contribution by Rob, even though he wrote it with a heavy heart. Casanova Brown, once again, the greatest songs by legendary musicians are the autobiographical songs. And she admitted years after she wrote this song that this song is about one man and one man only, and that is Rick James. Throughout this entire song, you see the similarities between this song and Every Little Bit Hurts. The only difference is... Every Little Bit Hurts wasn't written by Rick James. It was written by Ed Cobb. It was a remake of a song from the 1960s. But she sang Every Little Bit Hurts with all her heart and soul because she was singing about Rick. And in that song, it's about a woman who's being taken for granted by her man. Casanova Brown is very similar and is Tina Marie at her utmost greatest as a songwriter writing about a real life issue she was going she was having and that was her love for Rick James despite the fact that he wasn't recipro- reci- reciprocating the same unconditional love towards her that she was giving towards him My baby's fine. He always keeps me guessing, but never keeps me guessing about his love. He's had more girls than Howard Hughes had money. There you go. Howard Hughes was a playboy who became a recluse. Rick James probably, I don't know, in between his jail stints and before dying, the amount of women he slept with, You can't put a number on that. And you may think it funny when I say he loves me only. Now, this is her claiming, and I think Rick has claimed this also, that despite all the women he slept with, he only loved Tina during that time period. So this is her making that same claim. Just because I fell in love with Casanova Brown, Act 2, Scene 5 is my command performance. My name is Clairvoyance, and it's all too clear. I was the one who said, tune in tomorrow. I think about tomorrow, even when I'm asleep, and who are you to say what I did when you weren't around just because I fell in love with you, Casanova Brown? This song expresses just how much Tina Marie loved Rick James, and I always felt that Tina Marie, until even after he died, 
and she died six six years after he died, that her love for him went with her to her grave. And she sings this song with so much passion. Standing room only, the concert's so loud. Everyone's there for the party, to hush to a shout. Everyone's got a piece of the pie of you and I. But nobody knows when the lights go down that the tears fall harder than the whole damn crowd. Now, she's expressing the hurt she feels every time he's cheated on her. And they might be on stage singing Fire and Desire, singing I'm a Sucker for Your Love. Performing for the audience and showing the audience that yes, they love each other. But then when the lights go down, when the audience goes home, and he leaves her for that other woman that he's going to see, the tears begin to flow. I love you so, it hurt me, but I had to let let you go. Did you hear me crying, baby? It sounded a little bit like this. You didn't have to make me cry. Tell me again and I'll tell you why. It's over. It's over. It's over. Over before the love turns to hate. Let's let it end and let's still be friends. Oh, oh, oh. And that's exactly what happened with their real life romance. She got so tired of him cheating on her left and right. Up and down, left, right, and center, that she ended the affair. But they remained friends. They remained collaborators. They would continue to make music together. <sighs> Once again, the autobiographical songs are the greatest songs written and sung by the legendary performers. Casanova Brown, one of the greatest songs she ever wrote. I feel that song in my gut. Let's end it before I hate you. I don't want to hate you. He does, she doesn't want to hate him. She always wants to love him. But if she continues to stay with him, eventually she will hate him. Powerful song. Next up is my Baltimore brethren, Tevin. He's got a short but succinct voice note on the greatness of Tina Marie's My Dear Mr. Gay. And we'll talk all about My Dear Mr. Gay and Tevin's voice note on the other side. Tina Marie, a.k.a. Lady T, was such a jewel to music while she was here. Some like to use the term blue-eyed soul singer, but I truly consider her a soul singer because she truly sang from her soul. The passion in which she delivered her vocals was such a joy to witness. It's one of the things that's missing in music today. Whether it was funk, pop, or ballad, she had the ability to make you feel every word that she was singing. I was born the year her first album came out, so I have memories of her as a kid from my parents playing her LPs and hearing her songs on the radio. I can remember her being one of the first females I heard rap on Square Biz, which was such a big deal to me at the time. She had huge singles like I Need Your Lovin', Lover Girl, Ooh La La La, and Out on the Limb. My personal favorite song of hers is Dear Mr. Gay, where she delivers a touching tribute to one of the greatest singers of all time. She was just as good a writer as she was a singer, and she could do anything you needed to be done in the studio. 
from programming the drum machines to playing the guitar and playing the keyboards. When the world lost her, they lost a truly tremendous talent. Thank you for sharing your gift with us, Lady T. Rest in peace.
Tevin is another example of the incredible music knowledge that my listeners have. You don't listen to this podcast unless you have a love of music. My podcast is for soul music lovers and lovers of great athletes. But I heavily emphasize the music part of the podcast. That's why you have so many more legend tributes, legends tributes on singers than athletes because I grew up Listening to soul music And you got brothers like Tevin And sisters like Lala And Shay Jones And Kathy And now Briny And Simone Who grew up listening to soul music Listening and devouring it Learning it And Tevin Fits the description of the average listener you listen to this podcast because you love music, you appreciate the history of music, and you love learning about stuff you didn't know about. Tevin told me recently that my podcast has him learn things that he didn't know, and Tevin has a great knowledge of music. So coming from him, that's the biggest compliment anybody could tell me is that, yo, Rob, yo, Silva, yo, Robert. I didn't know such and such did this. I didn't know, like on my LSG podcast, when I revealed to the world that R. Kelly was originally supposed to be part of LSG. It was supposed to be LRSG. Johnny Gill revealed that three years ago. On the Jamel Hill podcast That R. Kelly was supposed to be a member of LSG I didn't make this shit up baby I didn't make this shit up ladies and gentlemen I don't make shit up on this podcast I deal with facts And my opinions Would be based on Educational Educational guesses And one educational guess I can make from dear Mr. Gay Is that Tina Marie Loved Marvin Gaye She loved him as a man She loved him as a musician She loved him as a human being Marvin's daughter Nona Gaye Her godmother is Tina Marie So there had to have been some type of bond Between Marvin and Tina For Marvin and his wife To anoint Tina as the godmother to Nona Throughout this entire song, you hear her unconditional love for Marvin Gaye as a man. It's a powerful song. And what I love about this song is that midway through the song, they go from the original background music to all of a sudden the orchestra, the band starts playing What's Going On. And... She flows effortlessly from the more melancholy sound that the music was being played to a more up-tempo beat that what's going on was. And she flows effortlessly. She transitions from a slow melancholy song to a 
more up-tempo song while continuing to pay the ultimate tribute to Marvin Gaye, her friend, the friend that she loved so much, a mentor to him, to her, a person so close that he anointed her as the godmother to Nona Gay. Masterful song and the when it comes to great tributes to Marvin Gaye, there are three that I put at the very top. That's this song, Dear Mr. Gay. There's a Night Train. Oh, Night Shift. On the Night Shift. By the Commodores. After Lionel Richie left, the Commodores had a nice 1984-85 with Going to the Bank and Night Shift. Night Shift was a dedication to Jackie Wilson and Marvin Gaye. Marvin, Marvin. And to me, the greatest tribute ever given to Marvin Gaye was Ray Kwan's Marvin that came out four or five years ago. And which I played at the very beginning of the Marvin Gaye tribute podcast I did part one. Part two I will play also at the beginning. Ray Kwan's dedication to Marvin and I will end the podcast. Marvin Gaye part two which will be coming out in a couple of months. With Tina Marie's tribute dear Mr. Gaye. This is a well-written, beautifully sung, phenomenal tribute to one of the five greatest singer-songwriters that ever, that ever lived, and that is the incomparable Marvin Gaye. Tevin, thank you for expressing your love of this song, and I want to thank Tina, who hopefully is up in heaven, Doing duets with both Marvin Gaye and her soulmate, Rick James. You couldn't ask for two greater mentors in your musical career than Rick James and Marvin Gaye. Now, the next voice note will be played, will be, well, out that I will play will be from one of my original contributors. She continues to contribute. Great voice notes to the podcast That's Lala Lala is going to talk about the greatness of Tina Marie And then Ironically And I don't know Maybe this was me doing this on purpose Ooh la la Will follow Lala And we'll talk all about it On the other side Hey Ron this is Lala Hope all is well Tina Marie has one of the most soulful voices I've ever heard. I just remember um, hearing Square Biz for the first time, and I was in the car with my parents, and I was so confused because I only knew, like, the remake with Jay-Z and Foxy Brown. I'm like, what is going on here? My mom was like, yeah, you know, this is the music you don't know nothing about. This before your time. And... I was like, wow, she sounds great, you know. And um, there were times we would sit in the car in the garage and that Fire and Desire song would come on. And, man, that, I know my mom loved that song. But one of my favorite songs by her is Ooh La La. 
and um, I've looked into it before, so I know it came out the year I was born, 1988, but I don't know what it is about that song. That song really stands out to me, and uh, she's, she's just a great singer, that, or was a great singer. Oh, and I think, yeah, I know. She, her last album she put out, I think it was uh, Conga Square or something like that. That whole album was a masterpiece to me. Um, and I had a really, uh, someone really close to me at the time. And we actually bonded over Tina Marie. And they bought that album for me because they knew, you know, I, I liked how she sounded. I was somewhat of a fan. But she had a song on there called Marry Me. And I, I know I played that song until the CD wouldn't play anymore. Because <laughs> I don't think, I think they bought me a bootleg CD. They didn't even buy me the real CD, but that's okay. Um, but I love that song too because it, it just, I think it's a song that every woman or every young girl or young woman needs to hear because that's what we should be hoping for when we entertain anyone. But um, I don't know too much about her private life, so, you know, I'm looking forward to the three E's, and uh, thank you for having me. Heaven is
tell the one you love just how much they mean to you. Because you see, sometimes the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. And if you understand what I'm talking about, let me hear you say Thank you, Lala, for another great voice note. And I think the reason why you love Ulala so much is because it it goes with your name, Lala, Ulala. Um, all jokes aside, I love the fact that you share your music with your daughter the same way your parents shared their music with you. And you made a comment about square. Uh, square biz I mentioned earlier in the podcast That was the sample And the hook used by Dawn Robinson In the Firm's record Firm biz with Nas AZ And of course Foxy Brown Where Dawn Robinson went um, Firm biz it's Firm biz baby Well Ooh la la The song that You introduced was used as a sample by the Fugees with Fujila with Lauren Hill doing the hook with the Ulula Fujila, you know, taking the place of Ulala. Tina Marie, one of the most heavily sampled female artists of all time. Her music was made to sample on hip hop beats because uh, she always had phenomenal background music with the best. Musicians on the planet Throughout her run at Motown And then later at Epic Records She would use members of The Funk Brothers Because when she started at Motown The Funk Brothers were the house band uh, Tina Marie Played a few instruments The percussions, the piano Rick James James Rick James Played a ton of instruments People do not realize how talented Rick James was And the reason why he along with Tina Marie In my opinion belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Rick James was a one man band Write his own music Sing his own music And play many of the instruments he needed To record the music This song Ooh La La Was released in 1988 Maybe I believe it was her biggest pop hit of all time Still, I don't remember it being played on the New York pop station. So, to answer to answer Kathy's question from early in the podcast, Tina Marie, despite being a white soul singer, never received any radio play on soul pop stations. Period. Which, like I mentioned earlier, makes her authentic in my book because she could have played that white privilege card. She could have had her management go to these radio stations, corporations, say, "Look." My artist isn't getting playtime. She's white. She's not an N-word. She's a white girl. Play her. No. She never played that shit. She never did that bullshit. I was supposed to see Tina Marie 
August of 1988 at the New Orleans Superdome where I went to see the Budweiser Superfest. That night you had Keith Sweat, Freddie Jackson, Al B. Shaw, and Tina Turner, my understanding, was supposed to be the headliner of this incredible concert with all these already legends and future legends. She got into a car accident, I was told, by the public address announcer the day before the concert, and she was unable to perform. And that really broke my heart because that was the only opportunity I ever had in seeing Tina Marie live. And I know she would have killed it because if you go to YouTube and see several of her live concert performances, she could sing her ass off live. She, Even though she wasn't a great dancer, she could carry herself doing the dance songs. And she had great. She, she had a great band it, it would have been a great show I would have loved it I attended this with my good friend um, Dr. Kimberly McNeil now this, She was a she was a, a sophomore in college at the time But Dr. Kimberly McNeil Her sister, attorney Kelly McNeil They became a doctor and a, a, an attorney In their uh, grown up lives we went together, We all the three of us went to see this concert and we had a great time. But all three of us were disappointed because Tina did not perform. Ooh La La is a phenomenal song. Coming off the Naked to the World album, which in my opinion is one of Tina's best works, best albums. There's two great covers on that album. I'll be playing one of them very soon. With, I mean, two great duets, not covers, there's two great duets on that album with Rick James. And this was towards the end of Rick James' recording career. Because not too, not too far after this, not too soon after this, Rick went to jail and he went to prison for a very long time. So this was one of the last... Recordings Rick James ever did period Because when he came out of jail um, He did some He did some um, guesswork on The Dave Chappelle show playing himself After Dave had played Rick James for a long time He did that BET uh, Cameo with Tina And then he was dead So we never heard a comeback in Rick James Album but I'm glad we didn't If he had stayed Alive when you saw him on on BT at the BT Awards that night, he looked like a shell of a shell of a shell. But back in 1988, he still had a powerful voice, and you will hear his voice in the Once and Future Dream that's coming up soon. Ooh La La is one of my top five Tina Marie songs, and it was a fitting end to one of the best soul runs of the 1980s. When we're just looking at soul music in the 1980s, and she started her career in 79, so she had albums come out from 1980 to 1988. She sung throughout the entire decade of the 80s. And if we're looking at just soul singers, not pop stars, that were also soul singers like Sade, Prince, and Michael, let's take them out the picture. Soul music artists. Of the 1980s, she's up there with Anita Baker. Tina Marie, Anita Baker, 
Luther Vandross are probably the top tier of soul music artists of the 1980s. I'm talking about solo artists. And I'm sure I'm missing some people. But those are the three that come to mind. I'm not counting Whitney Houston. She was a massive pop star. I'm talking about artists that just sung soul music. On the next level down would be Alexander O'Neill, Freddie Jackson. Um, New Jack Swing was first starting, so Keith Sweat only had one album. I'll be sure only had one album. Guy only had one album. Uh, New Edition, group-wise, yes. But I'm talking about just solo artists. Tina, Luther, Anita. That's great company. The 1990s would begin and she would give birth to her one and only child in 1991 uh, as she was dating and I believe she was living with her mailman lover, the father of her child, Peter Butcher. And a transition occurred with Tina. She would have one album in 1990 and then... She would go on have a baby and like a Sade did, like a Lauren Hill did, like many female artists who have children for the first time. They take time off to raise their child. We're going to play If I Were a Bell, which was from her last album before going totally independent in 1990. Before we play that, we're going to hear, uh, who's up next? We're going to hear... Oh no, my bad. We still got the Once in Future Dream to play from that same Naked to the World album. We're going to hear Jay talk about the greatness of Tina Marie, and then we're going to hear the magnificent duet between Tina Marie and her mentor, her former lover, Rick James. What's good? What's good? What's good, everybody? To everybody that's listening, to everybody that's contributing, I hope y'all are having a good day because I am having a good day at the moment. And if you don't know, this is Jay. <laughs> and on behalf of the original great, my mentor from afar, Rob Silver, I get to talk about Tina Marie. Now, my first, or my introduction rather, to Tina Marie was, it was through my cousin Joe. And she, she was, um, she is rather, she's kind of like me, she loves music. And she'd be listening to all types of different music. But I mean, one day I might have been, I was a little kid. I forgot how old I was, but I was definitely a little kid. I'm, if I was to assume, probably, let's say, eight or nine. And just a Tina Marie song came on, and I didn't know who it was. And the song was Portuguese Love. And that voice just made me smile, like, as soon as I heard it. Again, I didn't know who it was at all. And when I first heard her, I thought she was, like, completely black. You know what I mean? Like, I just... Because at the time, just... Anytime I heard any R&B, anytime I heard any singing, I just assumed they were black people because that's that's what I heard. That's what even even when my parents would play R&B, they play in black artists. So I just assumed that she was black. And with Tina Marie, it just... That voice made me smile. Like, it just made me feel good all over it. I wanted to hear it again and again and again. And I kept telling my cousin, yo, play that again, play that again, play that again, play that again. So that was my first introduction. And as I grew and got older, 
and I actually found out who Tina Marie was, and it kind of shocked me that she wasn't black, <laughs> right? So that in itself kind of it kind of even drew me it drew me further into the music and trying to get to know what she was like as a person and the one one fun fact actually is her birthday is the day after mine so that that's another thing that made me uh I'm, that's why I'm, i got like a little bias <laughs> towards tina marie in a way like i love her musical voice period anybody that has a similar birthday anybody that has the same birthday as me i i'm gonna ride for you just a little bit a little bit harder than i would any other person but as far as Tina Marie's music goes and her as an artist, to me, I can't really, uh, I can describe it. It's, she she was extremely talented, supremely. It's actually, it, it, it amazes me because she, she was another one. She could play the piano real well and she could do different things with her voice. And when she went real high, she would kill it each time and of course, everybody loves um, Fire and Desire with Rick James. I think they had another song, too. That was Fire. Too. I forgot what it was called. Ah. Rob, I hope you can remind me, because I know they did another song. They did a couple more. But Fire and Desire, everybody loves that song. I found out about that song through Martin, <laughs> the show. Um, My favorite Tina Marie song, period, is between... Parking music and passion play. Matter of fact, I love that, that whole passion play project. But um, I like parking music because I'm gonna just be honest. It's it's freaky. It's freaky, and who doesn't like freaky R&B? I'm, I'm being completely honest. Here. So um, passion play and parking music. Parking music is my is my favorite Tina Marie song ever. And like I said, her voice is is. If you wake up in the morning and you hear that voice just singing through, it's like she has like a kind of opera kind of thing to it. I think she, I don't know if she did opera, but that's what it feels like to me. But any, if you wake up and you hear that voice, it's going to automatically make you smile. And that's what Tina Marie is to me. She's, she's nostalgic for me. She's, uh, she brings positivity and happiness my way. So. Rest in peace, Tina Marie, the legend. Um, Rob, I would like to thank you again for allowing me to get on here and share my thoughts. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you more than you know. Way more than you know. And peace, everybody.
Yo, Jay, I am honored that you consider me a mentor. I, I, that man, that, that hits the nail on the head. Like I've told you several times, both on the air and privately, that you remind me of my ex's son, the way you speak, the way you treat people, the way you are kind and gentlemanly and very respectful of your elders, like my ex-girlfriend's son, Wyatt. And so he considers me a mentor. You consider me a mentor. So, man... Hearing this voice note really made my day, really made me feel good inside, man. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your contributions each and every week on the podcast. And great assessment of Tina Marie, great assessment of her talent, of her unique vocal style. The Once and Future Dream was the last great song that Tina Marie and Rick James recorded as a duet. And in this song... Once again, you hear the unbridled passion. We should have had got. We should have gotten an entire duet album of Rick James and Tina Marie just singing ballads about each other, like the love, marriage, and divorce duet album that came out uh, nine years ago with Tony Braxton and Babyface. We should have had a Rick James and Tina Marie duet album with a similar concept. The beginning of a relationship, the trials and tribulations of a relationship, and then the breakup of the relationship. And if you look at the songs that they recorded together throughout their career, whether it's I'm a Sucker for Your Love, him talking a Portuguese love at the end, Every Little Bit Hurts, uh, Fire and Desire, The Once and Future Dream. In every one of those songs, it's Tina at her most passionate. And when Rick sings, because in a couple of those songs he just talks, it's Rick at his most passionate. You wouldn't know that in 1988, Rick James was a hardcore drug addict, the way he sounded on this song. Whatever hell he was going through, being in the studio with Tina and singing this song about his true love with his true love, Brought the best out of Rick James. And anytime Tina was singing with Rick, it would bring the best out of her. Phenomenal song. I'm upset that this song never got any real radio play on R&B soul stations throughout the country. Because to me, this is a better song than Ooh La La. I know Ooh La La is more pleasing, a more radio friendly song. Songs like the Once in Future Dream 
are left for shows like The Quiet Storm Overnights throughout the country. This is a masterpiece of a song. And once again, I give you uncut gems, unreleased gems from the legends that I focus on in music. Never before released songs off of albums that people either didn't hear the entire album or might have heard the song one time when they heard the entire album, but never heard it again since. The Once and Future Dream is a flawless ballad, a flawless duet, and it ended the great run of duets that Rick James and Tina Marie did together. They're on the same level as Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, Donnie Hathaway and Roberta Flack when it comes to making great music as part of a duet. Uh, recently, who would I? Oh, and then, you know, in the 2000s to mid-2000s, of course, you had Kiki Wyatt and Avant. But for my money, the number one duet, uh, duet partnership of all time Male and female singing together. It's not Marvin and Tammy, in my opinion. It's not Roberta and Donnie. It's Tina and Rick. You will always be my Watson future dream. Sing it to me, sing it to me. Phenomenal song. Next up, we're going to hear some poetry. Because every time Shannon sends a voice note in, it's poetic times 10. After we hear her poetic voice note, we're going to hear If I Were a Bell, and we're going to talk all about it on the other side. Hey, Rob. Hey, everybody. It's me again, Sugar Shan. Now, even from the first time I heard Tina Marie sing back in the day, I knew she wasn't black, but I was still surprised to find that a little white woman could sound like that. Now, was she a culture vulture? Debatable. But she just really seemed like she was a person who just happened to be born sounding that way. And let's face it, if you're black, you heard of Tina Marie. She is really one of the most black famous white people there is because the average white person don't know who the hell Tina Marie is, but we all do. Even when she tried to be Lady T and the fact that the rap on Square Business Corny is a hill I'm willing to die on. But it fits her and, if, and it was really cute. And of course, I'm saying at the top of my lungs whenever that song is on. But, you know, for me, white people rap it is just corny and there's nothing I can do about that. Sorry. But that doesn't stop Square Biz from being one of my favorite songs. <laughs> that beautiful voice, the range, and the fact that her pen is undeniable is a combination that to me so far, no one has ever been able to duplicate. She's a thing, a being onto herself, because I've never seen another person be able to do what she did. And to be honest, there's not too many black or white that could do it. She's written some of the most beautiful lyrics that you can identify with to suit whatever mood you're in. Whether it's from a place of admiration or betrayal, she knew how to voice it for you and make you sing it in a way that will force you to belt it out the top of the lungs no matter what you sound like. Even if you had a feeling that Tina Marie, had, if you had a feeling Tina Marie had a song for it. If you was breaking up and you wanted to punch him in the face, Casanova Brown. Just feeling sad and missing somebody. Uh, where is California? 
Want to do a happy little dance? Ooh, la, la, la. Reminiscing on one of your sessions gone by, Portuguese love. Want to shake your ass? You can get behind the groove or try to be somebody's lover, girl. And of course, if you wanted to profess your undying love like the one that her and Rick James seem to have for each other, I could say you could go burn yourself up with fire and desire. But Rick James actually wrote that one. But what makes it one of the hottest duets of all time is the chemistry they had with each other. Since they were really involved with each other and were probably actually singing it from a place of true feelings. So when you talk about an incomparable performance, this is one. She has so many great songs that it's hard for me to choose, but uh, which my favorite one is. But it's a toss-up for me be- between uh, If I Were a Bell and Out on a Limb. If I Were a Bell is just so simple and so succinct. If I Were a Bell, I would ring every day for you. Like, if the only thing I had to do in this world was be a bell and just ring, expect that it would be the only reason I would be doing it is for you. Now, that's some beautiful shit right there. Now, on the, out, when out on a limb, she describes a love that's so deep and so safe and so connected that you're helpless against it. Like, to be lost inside someone's love like there's no tomorrow as you slumber deep. <laughs> I mean, I feel like how beautiful is that to be so confident that you're safe with another person that you can just give up your guard and, and know that they're going to watch over you. Nothing could possibly happen to you because they wouldn't let it. Now, that's everything I've felt about my husband ever since I bullied him into kissing me in the, go- in the high school in gym in, in, in 1985. Tina was somebody who seemed to be simply herself. And that's something I recommend everybody do. Anyway, rest in power, Tina. Peace out, y'all.
Shannon with another poetic voice note. The way she takes an artist's lyrics, songs, and puts it together. Beautifully, beautifully, always beautifully well done. Um, with her great Long Island, New, New York uh, accent. If I Were a Bell is as poetic as Shannon's voice note. If I Were a Bell... Once again, Tina writing a phenomenal love song, this time using objects as analogies to her love for the man she is writing about or singing about. And I believe at this point in time, she's singing about the soon-to-be father of her only child, Peter Butcher. If I were a bell, ask me now that we're cozy and clinging. Clinging. Well, sir, all I can say is if I were a bell, I'd be ringing. Later on, if, boy, if I were a duck, I'd quack. Or if I were a goose, I'd be cooked. Well, if I were a salad, I know I'd be splashing my dressing. Oh, I love this. Or if I were a season, I'd surely be spring. Or if I were a gate, I would swing. Have a fling, almost any old thing. Or if I were a bell, I'd go ding dong, ding dong, ding. Oh, man. And she sings these lyrics and she makes these analogies in her music with that golden voice of her, those golden vocal cords of Miss Tina Marie, Lady T, Mary Christine Brockert. She just, and this was the end of a run. Because a year later she'd have a baby And then she would take a sabbatical And she would come back in 1994 With a great independent record Off of a record label that she created She became independent The name of the album was Passion Play And we're going to play the standout from that album A cover song of a classic ballad That she did called Hypnotize and we will talk about it after we hear Francis's love uh love note. Francis's love note to Tina Marie. Francis's voice note about Tina Marie. And then we're going to hear hypnotize and then we're going to talk all about it on the other side. I'm not going to be like a lot of black people when they refer to non-black singers or non-black actors and say that, that person's welcome to the cookout. Um, Tia Marie, very, very unique voice. Uh, a deep soprano, anybody who knows music knows what I'm talking about, which made it very unique at the time, at least for me, because... I was not able to see music videos um, being from where I was, so I assumed that she was black until I got a little older. So um, for me, that stuck out in a time when non-black singers like your Madonnas and your Cynthia Lauper's, Stevie Nicks, Pat Benatar, um, you had Eutina Marie's who sung music that I liked, um, sung music that I can dance to and that I can move to, uh, ones you hear at parties, 
are barbecues. Um, a unique artist in our own right, able to play guitar, able to play drums, able to play Congo at a, at a, at a, a high level too, and self-taught. That's one of the things that separates her from a lot of pop artists because she wasn't necessarily marketable. Um, she was kind of stuck in between, again, being a non-black singer, stuck in between your pop and your R&B. Um, but a lot of the diehards and a lot of the people who respect her craft know what she's about, know what she brought in the scene, and know that a Madonna or a Cindy Lauper can't touch her. Um, her work with obviously Rick James, the tutelage under the, under Gordy, um, made her successful for a good while throughout the eighties and to, into the early nineties. Work it is my favorite song from her. From her, um, a lot of energy. I uh, usually it's in rotation in my rotation right now. Everybody knows Square Biz. That's another great track as well from her. And she put out a good amount of albums over the years. Um, I think this is a very, very uh, unique um, artist for you to pick out, Rob. She has passed away, maybe about 12, 13 years ago, if I'm correct. So we'll just give her her flowers and remember her um, in a time again when uh, she flew under the radar. Um, but I encourage some of you or whoever's listening to go back and listen to a lot of her songs, especially the ones from the early 80s to the mid 80s. A lot of bangers there. Um, also a lot of memories for those who are a little older. Um, thanks Rob once again for the opportunity to take part. And blessings again to those who are listening. Take care.
Classiest brothers I've ever met on social media The man is a great father He's an outstanding gentleman Great husband Lover of his cultures Of all the cultures Whether it's his African heritage Whether it's his Jamaican heritage Whether it's his Canadian heritage Whether it's his own familiar heritage As he always talks fondly about his parents And he always talks fondly about the legends that I talk about on this podcast Jermaine, I appreciate you We've had some conversations off air And man, like you said, you and I, when we go back and forth It's like talking at a barbershop between you and I We have so much in, in common And I love it And I love all my international brothers and sisters that I talk to on social media That I talk to, that I met through social media and through this podcast, them discovering this podcast, and then we have conversations, we DM each other, email each other, and we talk about our cultures, and we talk about the love that people from across the pond, whether it's Canada, whether it's South America, whether it's Jamaica, whether it's African, all these, the UK, Australia, all these great brothers and sisters that I meet talk, how they love America and Americans And that The hatred that the media tries to claim That people outside the country have Is an illusion created by the media So uh, Jermaine, once again Thank you for those great comments Hypnotize Off her 1994 Independent record label off her a record label that she created Passion Play The album Hypnotize I love this song I love this song And I'm not talking about Hypnotize From Biggie That would come out a few years later I'm talking about Hypnotize That Tina Marie redid I mean she She uh the original was sung by Linda Jones And Linda Jones' version is a great version it, On its own it stands out But Linda Jones As great of a singer as she was She's not a pimple on Tina Marie's ass Now Linda Jones' version is great Tina Marie's version is Another level It's out of this world Hypnotize Hypnotize You got me Hypnotize Yes, you do. Oh, baby. Oh, I love this fucking song. Ladies and gentlemen, this will shock you. This song is not available on any streaming service. 
You hear it on this podcast because I downloaded it off my own collection of songs I have on iTunes that are not seen by you guys. If you guys go into my Apple Music playlist, I have a bunch of iTunes songs that were downloaded from the album. Whether I this uh, burnt the disc, I burnt I burnt the disc off of a CD that I had to order back in 2005 through Tower Records. Now, this album Passion Play came out in 1994. I for 10 years, 11 years, I couldn't find this album anywhere, and it wasn't available on BMG Music or Columbia Music Record Club CD clubs where. I was a member of both, and I would get the CDs, burn them onto my computer, and then send it back. So in 2005, I went to Tower Records again, couldn't find it, but I ordered the CD off of TowerRecords.com, and this was right before Tower Records went out of business. I had the CD sent to the to the Tower Records on 66 and Broadway in Midtown Manhattan. And I went and picked it up. And it's a great album. But Hypnotize was the reason I got this album. And Hypnotize is my all-time favorite Tina Marie song. And I had to search long and hard to find it. I still have the CD. I burnt the CD onto my iTunes through my iMac that my brother got my son when he turned 13 back in 2005. And it's still part of my music collection that I received 18 years ago when my son and I started burning a whole bunch of records whole bunch of CDs from my collection and his collection into the computer through the, through the iTunes. But that song is not available. That album is not available on Apple Music or Spotify. So what we do, I use my own song off my off my own iTunes collection that you guys cannot read and you hear it on this podcast, one of the few places other than YouTube where you could hear the song in its entirety. And it's Tina Marie at her absolute best. In 1994, she was still 38 years old, but because music had changed. Soul music radio stations, RB music radio stations were no longer standalone radio stations. They were mixed in with hip hop, hip hop and RB and Hip-hop would be 90% of the music, poisonous music, and you'd have a few R&B songs by the hottest R&B acts, and that trend continues to this day. So you didn't hear Hypnotize on the radio. Only reason I learned about Hypnotize is because WBLS, on the overnight show after the Quiet Storm, hosted by Shayla, legendary disc jockey Shayla, New York City disc jockey, she hosted... An episode in which she interviewed Tina Marie and they played this entire album back in 1994. And when I heard Hypnotize, I lost my fucking mind. I'm like, wow. Just one look. Hypnotized. Mesmerized. Oh, man. What more can I say about Tina Marie? 
we spoke over four hours. It's the longest standalone podcast I've ever done on an artist. And ladies and gentlemen, because of the great voice notes sent in by the listeners, there will be a part two eventually. I was going to make this just one whole episode about her career, but she has so many songs that I did not get to play. My brother from Chattanooga, Michael Angel, told me about the Sapphire album. I totally forgot about that album. I didn't get a chance to play any of that. Now, I am going to play one song from the Ladonia album, her incredible duet with Gerald Levert that will end the podcast after you hear my Detroit sister Cheyenne talk about the greatness of the song, and that is Arose by Any Other Name, and it is Gerald Levert. Sounding exactly like his father Eddie In the rap at the beginning And then singing him along with Tina Him and Tina Marie Gerald Levert Was the second greatest duet partner Tina ever had after Rick James Gerald was phenomenal in this song And it's one of the last songs ever recorded Because two years after he recorded his song He shockingly died in his sleep Of sleep apnea Broke my heart when Gerald Levert died. He was only 40 years old. 40 years old. Still had a ton of great music to give us, in my opinion. He is the last great soul era of soul artist of my era that died. There's not a only soul artist out today that I could put on his level soulfully that's young and has been out the last five to seven years is Leon Bridges. Gerald Levert, in my opinion, is the greatest soul singer, the greatest, the last greatest soul singer of our generations, period. And you will hear the magnificence of his voice and the chemistry between him and Tina Marie on a rose, on a rose by any other name. Before I send it to Cheyenne with her great voice note leading into A Rose by Any Other Name, I hope everybody out there listening had a wonderful Valentine's Day. I will be celebrating my Valentine's Day this upcoming Sunday. I recorded this on the 15th. On February 19th, I'm my lady Mia is going to drive me up to upstate New York, and we are going to celebrate our Valentine's Day that weekend as I... Meet her parents and then we spend the rest of the weekend in a hotel room Me, her and her daughter So there'll be no shenanigans going on I'm just going to enjoy great timing with my beautiful Mia and her precocious five-year-old daughter Nori There will be a part two down the line of Tina Marie Because I have to cover Square Biz And Love a Girl And I'm a Sucker for Your Love And the Sapphire album And more songs from the LaDonia album So we will be doing a part two Shout out to Michael Angel Because he sent in a voice note that I cannot play Because I didn't do any songs from the Sapphire album But he understands that Matter of fact he's the one who told me Don't play the voice note Save it for part two Next week My Childhood crush Shaka Khan Shaka Khan Shaka Khan Shaka Khan I feel for you The first time I saw Shaka Khan I lost my goddamn line, uh, uh, mind And it's the reason why I love short caramel women With big booties 
pretty smiles and muscular calves. Like my mother says, Robert, they all look the same. Blame it on Shaka. Shaka Khan next week, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, don't go anywhere. You still got Cheyenne's voice note and the immaculate duet between Tina Marie and Gerald Levert, a rose by any other name. Until next week when we talk, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan, everybody be blessed and be a blessing. Once again, I'm joined by my Detroit niece, Cheyenne, Motor City Oprah. And before I play a rose by any other name, I got to have a talk about the greatness of Gerald and Tina on this song. Go ahead, Shy. These two voices together is just absolutely amazing. Like, Tina can sing with anybody. Gerald also is another person. You could put him on the song with anybody. And two people that are just so powerful, separate, coming together, especially a male and a, a, a male and a female, like those to me are like my favorite duets because it's like, you know, it's not two women, it's not two guys, like two, a man and a woman coming together like on this song and to have the voices like Gerald, like, oh my goodness, like in Tina's voice, like this was just one of the most perfect combinations to be put together. Like I remember when this song came out, I was, I was excited because I'm like, these two on the song, like this is an absolute collaboration. I did not know that I needed, and it is just <laughs> great. <laughs> it worked. It worked. Once again, I want to thank Shy for those great words because she took the words right out my mouth. Thank you again, Shy. Thank you.
never gonna let you go. 